0: You're listening to Brigade Radio 1.
1: Welcome to
2: the Antisocial Show.
3: to another episode of Anti-Social Show, where tonight we'll explore the Upside Down. I'm Hunter Block, and he's
2: Tyson Saner.
3: So that, uh, dear listener, was a Stranger Times uh, reference. Uh, if, if you're a big fan of Stranger Times... Wrong. Uh, Stranger Things, sorry. Uh, long day. So if you're a big fan of Stranger Things, then you would know that the Upside Down is the alternate reality in which uh,
1: they explore stuff
3: from... Yes, bad stuff happens, and uh, you don't want to go there. No. So
2: I've only seen, cur- seen the first two seasons, and that's it.
3: Um, I well, uh, the third season was phenomenal, and they're coming out with a fourth season soon. Hmm. Uh, so I literally binge watched the entire first season in like one day. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's only like eight se- uh, eight episodes per season, so or something like that. So okay. But yeah, I love Stranger Things. It's the best. Um. It also made me want to uh, play Dungeons & Dragons again in a big, bad way. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, it's been a while since I've played Dungeons & Dragons, but, I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's something very much... <sighs> well, it's like, it's just kind of a... It's a it's sort of a nod to films of a bygone era, and uh, w- one of the things that them playing Dungeons & Dragons reminds me of is E.T. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Anyway. Actually, I believe it's the same year that E.T. came out.
3: Um, I, th- I think the
2: first season starts in either 82 or 83. I think it's 82. 80, 80, 83. Hey, Google. What year does the first season of Stranger Things take place?
3: 1983. According to Wikipedia, the
2: first season begins
3: uh, in November sh- when Will hey, Myers hey. is abducted by a Language. creature
0: from the Upside Down.
3: Yeah, okay,
2: so, that makes sense, because, like, I think it's the second season, which this isn't a spoiler, but, well, it is kind of, but it has to do with, there's a video game that is prominently featured in the second season, prominently in that, just for, like, a scene, it's referenced heavily for people who remember it, and I, I thought the game came out in 83, but I guess it might have come out in 84, I suppose. Either that is an anachronism, it's hard to say. Anyway, I'm not gonna look it up right now. Um, <laughs> surprisingly. Alright. There we are.
3: Ah!
0: Hello. Can oh, you guys hear me? Can
2: can. Yes. Hear loud and clear, sir. Hey,
0: hold on. Okay. Give me a favor. Talk for a second.
2: Looking good, Ethan. Uh, Tosprilic and the Slithy Toves did Gyron Gibble in the wave. All mimsy were the goes and the out outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, Whoa. my son, jaws that bite, claws that catch. Beware the jub-jub bird, and shun the frumious banter snatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the maxim foe he sought. Arrested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And, as in uffish thought, he stood the
3: jabberwock with what eyes are you? Of flame, Came, yes, what, what, Hunter? Are you, are you reading the Jabberwocky? No, reciting it. Reciting it, ah, poetry. Yeah, I- Can you hear us okay, Ethan?
2: He might not be able to hear think. us now. It's, uh, he asked me to talk so I could, uh, so he could, I guess, adjust his levels. There we go. And oh. as an thought, he stood. The Jabberwock with the yeah. eyes of flame. Can you hear me okay, sir? It says he's connecting to audio on the thing.
0: All right, I can hear you. There you go. Okay. you ah, looking there's, good,
3: there's... E- You're looking good, Ethan.
0: Oh, you're too kind. Uh, Welcome to the 21st century, guys. Nice to see you got Zoom going Thank you, thank you. Thank you you, for making it easy on us.
3: Well, you know what it was? I I was outside thinking about it. I said, you know what? It's actually good if we have uh, both Skype and Zoom just in case because how you didn't think about, you know, people still using Skype. We didn't think about people not using Skype anymore either. It's like this Zoom thing took over. And that's fine. I mean... We're, uh, you know, we we like to make everything work on anti-social show. That's all. Well,
0: that's very kind of you. No, I am technically really impaired. So Zoom was just a much simpler system, and it had an easier flow to it. So we switched over. Skype was always sort of this obnoxious wrecking ball of crazy that crashed my system, and I was just happy to get rid of it. I'm sorry. But it's nice to see you both. You guys look good. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while since I've seen you, man. You look good, oh, good. Hunter. It looks like you're in like uh, an Area 51 gift shop.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, this is the permanent home of Antisocial Show. At least for the studio on this side of the Earth, anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, but, is this the show? Yeah. Uh,
3: yes, we are oh. we are officially rolling. So it's uh.
0: Well, you uh, guys should be embarrassed. Like, who was the real guest that canceled?
3: <laughs> you no one canceled. You are the oh, real come
0: guest. on. Nice try. Nice. You
3: are you are the real guest. I promise. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: right. we should. You do don't have prob- to
3: tell me that. No, trust me. You are the real guest. Uh, I, as I told you, you are always welcomed on uh, anytime. You know, just you know, you could drop us a text and say, "Hey, you're doing the show. I want to come on." You, you always have the invite. You don't want
0: um, that. No, don't, <laughs> yes, don't, do. don't do that to yourself. No, come on.
3: <laughs> yes, I do. So, uh, uh um, my background i 've chosen
2: the hoary netherworld
3: and is that what that is? Ha- yeah
2: yeah I, that's that I
3: have an, hmm. I have an area fifty one gift shop background <laughs> yeah Hunter
0: looks like he 's in an area fifty one gift shop Tyson looks like he 's standing in front of a like an old roger corman pit and pendulum backdrop
2: well, it 's like an Ed wood thing where the general just kind of stands on a
0: binocular well, if it was if it was Ed Wood, you would be slightly out of focus. <laughs> And looking in the wrong direction for the upcoming cut, but that's not. I love Edwood though, for what it's worth. We did a breakdown of an Edwood movie once, you and I.
2: Yes, we did. We did Plan Nine from Outer Space.
0: Yeah, yeah, one of his best.
3: We Certainly should uh, give our guest a proper intro, though. Mm, okay. uh, Tyson, you yeah. want to do the honors?
2: Oh, okay, sure. Uh, like that? It's like, well, we should cut the cur- hey, we should cut the turkey. Here's the knife, Tyson. Um, That's right. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, let's see. So please welcome back to the program, host of Combat Radio, among other things, Ethan Dettenmeyer. Yeah. Also the leader over at BrigadeRadio1.org, I assume still.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's been a mutiny, they haven't let me know yet. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. We're based over at Universal, still doing Brigade Radio 1 and still carrying this show. How are you guys?
3: Oh, we're doing fine, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, man. I'm good. It's nice to be here. It's uh, you guys do this show late, huh? You guys are a couple of cryptic, got kind, of, kind of a cryptic schedule.
3: Yeah, I mean, for uh, well, uh, it's technically what ten o'clock Cali time for you guys?
2: A little bit now,
0: yeah. It is
3: about it's, uh, almost quarter after ten. Uh, mm-hmm. It is one thirteen a.m. Jersey time. Um, so, but it's to tough. me, that's to me, that's not. This is this is my normal. Uh, time to be awake it's uh you know when I can get uh stuff like this uh going and and, uh you know the wife uh, is asleep on the other side of the house and she won't hear a thing
0: so okay well it's a privilege to be here like I said I don't know who your real intended guest was but I'm happy to fill in and do (laughs) what damage I can and hopefully you won't your listenership won't take
3: over the appearance you are the uh, you are the real intended uh, guest we uh talked about this last week Tyson had to uh That sounded like
0: again. a that sounded like a struggling, exasperated defense right there. Like
3: <laughs> well, you know, well you are
0: sort of yeah, you're the guy. Come on. You are anyway. The guy. You are it is the guy. fun to be here. So whatever I can do. I'm I, I don't know exactly it's been a while since I've been on the show. I do uh, I do follow your work uh and I'm happy to do whatever I can to oh. try to keep.
2: Thank you. Uh um, out of curiosity uh where now for the people where can people listen to combat radio
0: go to brigade radio 1.org click on combat radio you click on all the shows there there's some great talent i do a show with adrian paul of highlander fame there there's a mm-hmm. couple of shows from some warner brother executives some senior vps over at warner brothers there's a lot of different interesting shows over there you know the guys from harry potter do a show uh uh, you know, so just go to Brigade Radio One dot org and it's not just my show. I mean, honestly, you would be doing yourself a service listening to that, but there's other shows there that are actually much, much better that you can listen to, including this. A lot of rock stars do shows over there too. Those guys are usually pretty uh outrageous. So yeah, Brigade Radio One dot org. Thanks for the plug. Hey, you know where I was today? Where so that? today I was on the set of the house on Haunted Hill. Really? Ooh. Yes, also the Blade Runner house, the NS house. And yesterday, get this, NS house. I was at the Borjo Pass, Romania, otherwise known as Vasquez Rocks, where they shot the opening of Dracula. I was not only at the opening of, the, of Dracula and Vasquez Rocks, but I had to make a run to the bridge that's in Lost Boys. Ooh. So, Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, there's been some debate about this bridge online, but... When I worked at Warner Brothers in Future Development, I was in building anyone with Joel Schumacher, the director of Lost Boys. And you know who was in that building with us? John Milius, oh, wow. Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan, the Warshawskis, and a couple of other assholes, And me. And uh, Joel Schumacher was on one end of it. And so everyone thinks that bridge is in Santa Cruz. But the bridge is actually in Valencia, California. That's nice. tonight's fun fact regarding cool. 80s vampire movies that nobody cares about. <laughs>
3: Well, you, you got to give the Lost Boys like some credit because you know, as far as vampire movies, uh, you know, go the '80s really had it. I mean, I, I, I know, I know the millennials love their Twilight. I mean, it's all happy days. Don't say know, that. Don't, don't
0: do that. Days. Don't put that on them. Uh, don't yeah, do that. Spartans That's like skin. telling someone they suck when they show up for batting practice. <laughs> Come on, give them a chance. Uh, and I don't think the movie's bad. Don't get me wrong. I just think that. The fact I gave everyone that the bridges in Valencia is pretty bad. The Movie mm-hmm. itself is kind of fun. That's so right. I actually, did, I had to do a commentary on a trailer to it recently. Actually, it was interesting to rewatch it. Oh,
3: cool! I love the Lost Boys. To me, that was like again one of, my, and of course, I think I might be standing solo here by myself uh, when it comes to this one particular movie that Tyson and I talk about once in a while. Yeah. But it was um, uh, Franklin and because Franklin Jello is a Jersey boy. Um, I, I loved his vampire. I loved his adaptation of Dracula. His dra-
0: yeah, that's fantastic. You're that. not alone in that. You're not alone in that. That has a really strong director Actually, John. No, it's not John Borman. But that was a really well-directed film. I saw that last Halloween for the first time in probably 20 years. I thought, man, that's good. It's really, 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 pr- from a production design standpoint, there's a really good architectural angle on the entire movie frame by frame. Anyway, that's a good call. I think so. I just think it's brilliant. But look – Yes, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to derail you guys with what I think is interesting. It's what you guys think is interesting.
2: Well, I mean, I I enjoy uh, uh, talk of uh, things like well framed films uh, as much as anybody else. Actually, I mean, frame composition is one of my favorite um, uh, things to look for. Uh, yeah. or, you know, or to uh, it's actually very difficult for me to uh, look at a film without taking in details
0: and things like that. Uh, go ahead. No, I'm listening to what you're... Finish your thought. I don't want to talk, though.
2: Well, it is difficult. I mean, I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll, I will literally just look at something and I'll have to stop. It, it also, it, it's usually the first time, too. It's not, like, later. Like, that usually... If something is well-framed, it hits me immediately. Like, if it's a nice yeah. shoulder shot, if there's, like, light and light and darkness, if it's all in balance, you know, if there's things in the background and the foreground, it's all in one frame. Like, just, you know, whether it's... Whether it's mise-en-scene or something that's a composite shot, as long as it's in the frame in a cool way, I really, I really, it's very stimulating. I don't know.
0: That's, you, know. I, you know what? You're absolutely right. Com- composition is key, and that's uh, you know something Clint Eastwood would tell you. Have any learned from Kurosawa? But you know, the internet will correct me on this, as they so often do, even when I'm right. But it might have been John Badham that directed that version of Dracula, and uh, I believe I, it was. I'm, yeah, and that is actually that is actually an underrated version of Dracula. Now, here's the thing about Lost Boys, right? Since I had to do. I had to tell some Joel, Joel Schumacher stories who recently passed away. May he rest in peace. Rest in peace. And I had to do like a commentary on the trailer from a Warner Brothers archive standpoint, and I was talking about Capello, the sax guy, You know, that's, <laughs> that does not sing the song that everyone thinks he sings. He just does right. the performance. He lip-syncs the performance. That's actually the band, the call that he's doing, but everyone seems to think that he was Tina Turner and Peter Gabriel's sax guy. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I was thinking about watching the movie. Is it a good movie? Or is it a fun movie that is good because it's fun? Because it's got some interesting things to it, and it's fun to watch. But I, I, I'd be damned if I thought it was really, I'm going to get fucking ripped for this. Sorry about my language. but It's okay. These guys moved to the murder capital of the world, Santa Carla, which is funny, right? Because yeah. Santa Cruz didn't want their name used. Because, they, because in the script, and this is from the Warner Brothers production notes, in the script it said, murder capital of the world. What's unique about that is Santa Cruz was actually referred to Realistically, in the late 70s and early 80s, as the murder capital of the world because of what was going on with some of the serial killers up there, right? So, wow, it's a, they didn't want that. So, uh, anyway, so I'm looking at the movie going, okay, so these guys move to town. Mm-hmm. This guy meets a girl on the boardwalk. She gets on some other guy's bike. He decides to get in a race with him. He almost gets killed. And then they invite him to this cave mm-hmm. where he eats. What Man, it's- is supposed to be Chinese food, right? He gets mm-hmm. deceived. Yeah. He drinks the blood. They go to the bridge and now he's damaged. And I thought, damn, that's an express setup. Like, I don't think I would have gotten like Chase. And I don't think, you know, if she'd got on another guy's bike, and by the way, the cast of the movie is excellent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, J- Patrick has always said that he didn't want to do the movie, which to me, Rick, you just read some mm-hmm. because he was a starving actor. How would you not want to do a movie if it came your way and you're working at McDonald's? Anyway. So, yeah, probably. he always said he said he was working at McDonald's. He worked there three days before he quit. He didn't want to do the movie. It sounds so like elitist, right? Like I'm not sure I want to do your movie. What the fuck are you doing? Just take the job, yeah, dumbass. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I would, I would have but
1: definitely. But that he's uh,
0: got to tell this story like the movie was beneath him in script form. You know, no offense, Patrick. Don't come at me after this. But uh, anyway, so I was just watching it and thinking it out, going. Is it really plausible? I mean, I guess it's still a fun movie, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: are you gonna like wander the boardwalk in, uh, in Santa Carla, California? And this movie could have taken place anywhere, but I love that they chose Santa Cruz. Anyway, your just, thoughts on that,
2: guys? Just from a practical standpoint, I see. So, like, the idea, the logic behind it—it's—it um, it, is a good question. Um, I'll. I did tweet recently about Lost Boys, like very recently, uh, cause they mentioned on, on Nooner, a podcast, I do the Tumblr for on Tuesday nights at 730 live. Um, good plug. Good plug. Thank you. See, that's how
0: Pro does it, folks.
2: And it was my, my idea, my thought was that I don't know if, you see, I know that like I have a lot of affection, like collective nostalgia and affection for the, for the various people who are in the film. And I don't know yeah. if, if I can be objective about whether it's good or not, but I haven't seen it in a while. So I really need to see it. Because I did really like it back in the day, um, and by the way, the the saxophonist you were mentioning, I believe he's he is in the Tina Turner's Private Dancer tour, the filmed concert. Because we used to have yeah, that. My mom yeah. likes Tina Turner, so, and so do I. But like Private Dancer tour is great, and I was like, that's the same guy who's in Lost Boys.
0: No, he worked a long time, and uh, he did a lot of work with Tina and Peter Gabriel and. And uh, you know it's funny because uh, he always comes up lost boys discussions because he's such like a hallmark visual of the time, right? Look, I mean, I guess the answer <laughs> is if you like visual. the movie, and I do like the movie, right? <laughs> I like, I think the movie's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just kind of wondering, watching it God, I don't know. She gets on Kiefer Sutherland's bike mm-hmm. and then Kiefer Sutherland like invites him to a race, mm-hmm. tries to get him killed. He gets punched by this guy, then invites him to the clubhouse. It's like, this right. isn't the way most evenings progress. It's just got, but it works. The movie works and everyone's great. The cast, a little, few of those guys are no longer with us and it right. should be pointed. And what are these guys doing on the, on the merry-go-round in the first place? I mean, aren't they a little old for a merry-go-round to be like walking around? I like, have, let these kids have their fun. How old are right.
2: they? I was, I was always kind of confused about how old they were supposed to be, like, or, you know, if they're teenagers or if they were, like, young 20-somethings. Because definitely Corey Haim's character is supposed to be a teenager, I believe.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, in the, origi- in the original script, when Donner was going to direct it, before Donner got the lethal weapon assignment, also they were the all really young. Yes. Who just, we just lost. and. Wow. Our post-production supervisor at Brigade Radio 1 is Mark Marshall, who worked on Harry Potter, but started his career with Donner, so he's devastated. We're all sort of shocked. Now, I used to see Donner around Warner Brothers when I started there delivering mail. and Right across the street from him was Joel Silver's office, and Joel Silver was always walking around in these high-end pajamas. It was hilarious. But Donner was always a great guy with those under-the-line guys, like uh, the nobodies, myself included, who was like just a mailroom attendant. He was always very cool. So. A much-missed guy, and he affected the you know the industry in ways few of us will ever fully understand. But when Donner was going to direct Lost Boys, all those characters were supposed to be, like, eight, nine years old. So Schumacher actually met, came up with the correct assumption, which is kids tend to like to watch movies about people slightly older than themselves. Like, if you're in junior high, you watch about high school, and if you're in high school, you want to watch that. About- hmm. And I think there is some truth to that. So they kind of made them all a little older. And everyone's good, and you know they're also even. No, here's the thing: like I know Corey Feldman takes some black because he based his performance off of Rambo Two. Oh, really? But yes, he's That's on the record you. Really. And it, now you look at it, and it, it is Stallone kind of doing like murder, and they grunt. Oh, they am going to like, get uh, you. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's hilarious. Yeah, mean, everyone does a old, great job.
2: Corey Ham's yeah. always fun to watch. Yeah. Um, by the way, one of my favorite uh, things that he's done. It's not that recently anymore, but it's fairly recently, was his, uh, uh, (laughs) I'm I'm an unironic fan of the song uh, Ascension Millennium and that video that he did for it. I think it's a a fun piece of music and the video is very well put together.
0: I haven't seen it. Um, I know when he was doing some musical incentives to try to get some music recorded and albums out that uh, some of our staff was helping out Mm-hmm. I encourage that because I know he's a target. But my thoughts are, if the guy wants to do it, let him. Move, who cares. Oh, yeah. It's there for you if you appreciate it, and if you don't, shut the fuck up and get on your way. Okay. Nobody cares. It's just so interesting how people are. He that guy polarizes people, and people tend to like like, how dare this guy sort of embrace his love for music and dance and do all these things. It's interesting how he's like publicly punished and to that. Yeah. So let the guy do whatever he's going to do. If you don't like it, there's plenty of other entertainment out
2: there. Definitely unfairly maligned, I'd
0: say. Yeah. He's always been good with us. I mean, he's done charity things with us at a drop of a hat. He left Disneyland once to do a charity broadcast. The guy's been fantastic, you know, and for years. Anyway, You know, he got his first movie, I think. This came up in one of our interviews with Star Trek 2 Khan director Nicholas Meyer, mm-hmm. who also directed Time After Time, mm-hmm. and that According to Meyer, was Corey Feldman's first job. In time, oh, well,
2: earlier than uh, uh, Friday the 13th Part 4.
0: I yes. think so, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: That's there. so funny. We were just talking Friday the 13th movies and how a friend of ours got killed in one, and it's like his claim to fame, Roger Rose. <laughs> like, he's done a lot of stuff being killed in a Friday the 13th movie in Griffith Park. <laughs> Shut <laughs> it! 40 yards from one of the prime tourist attractions in LA. It's so funny how, you know, the film industry works. It's like you think they're out in some sort of mythical abandoned campsite. Really, they're right next to, uh, you know, a couple of taco trucks and an observatory.
2: <laughs> well, sure. You know what's great is, uh, you know, because this fictional, this Camp Coast Crystal Lake has a very uh, specific geography, as far as I could think.
3: Huh? It's up in North Jersey.
2: Right. But I mean, the one in the movie. The way that they, they compile it out of various scenes and locations. Right. And it's like, it's not based on one. It is, you know, obviously based on a lake, but it's like for the film, they, it's got its own, it's got its own geology that, that exists or geography, the uh, layout that exists right. within the universe of the films. And that's what they use to create the map that you went around on in the Friday the 13th, the video game 3D. One where you can either play the as Jason or you can play as camp counselors trying to get away from Jason. And it's, uh, yeah. I played it on my, uh, show, Tyson Center Gamer on my channel, on my YouTube channel. And
0: I loved Who the, are you? were you? Were you Jason or game or the camp, camp counselors? First game I
2: played, I actually played two sessions uh, for two videos. The first time around, I was purely a, uh, I believe I was a camp counselor, but the second time through, I got to play as Jason.
0: And, uh, That tells us a lot about you.
2: Like <laughs> i think it's random i think like you go online and then it just decides what you're going to play as no,
0: don't try to excuse it man if you want to play a homicidal maniac in the video game world look no one's going to stop you i just think it says a lot about you well, you, you know where i'm at tomorrow <laughs> speaking of homicidal i'm on the set of the original halloween tomorrow
3: oh yes yes again
0: yes. we do a lot of broadcast work from there and it's easy to get to but i'm back there but i that only came to mind because we were talking about you know Homicidal killers. Sure. So sure. continue, and, Tyson.
2: No, that's fine. But which uh, which uh, which location for the first one?
0: I'm at the original Michael Myers house. Oh, the house, the hedge, the hedge where he came out, and then I'm going to pop over to the house that was used by Laurie Strode okay. and or lived where she lived in, and then I'm going over to the hardware store, which is now one of our favorite Indian restaurants in town. And I'm going over there afterwards. Neat. I got to do sort of a yeah, I got to do sort of a broadcast piece. We've done it a few times from there, and it's always a lot of fun. Uh, I've done it with Michael Lang, the director of The X-Files, because he's a big kid. So, uh, But, you know, that's kind of the movie that I think probably the Friday the 13th owe a bit of a debt to. But, you know, this Halloween, I'm not wearing the Michael Myers mask. I'm wearing the hockey mask because it breathes easier.
3: Oh, it definitely does. Now, sense, yeah. your thoughts, guys. Hmm. The original... Obviously, the original Michael Myers movie or the original Halloween came out in 1978, which really launched the dawn of the slasher movies, in my opinion, anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
3: it, it ran a good, you know, a good series of movies, obviously. But now you have the, um, the Rob Zombie remake. So what was your did you guys see the Rob Zombie remake? What was your take on it? If you did.
0: Tyson, go ahead.
2: I have not seen the Rob Zombie remakes. Um, all, I've seen Halloween 1, 2, 3,
0: and 4. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it either. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't fully have the appreciation for Rob Zombie's work that other people do, although I know that Michael Myers that's in that mask, uh, Taylor May. Hmm. We've had him on combat already. And huh. he's excellent, and he tells some really good production stories.
2: Tyler May also is, uh Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie?
0: Yeah, Troy, a few interesting things. I mean, Dick Warlock was... Michael Myers the second time around and Nick Castle played him the first time around before he jumped into, you know, director. So, Mm. but he actually, you know, Castle gets the credit and Castle got the pay. But I heard somebody say that everyone from Deborah Hill to the caterer was in the Michael Myers suit at one point, Mm. depending on what they needed that particular day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not a knock on Nick Castle. It's just the way those productions tend to work, you know, out of need. Sure, sure. But um, I liked what I saw, Main's work, but I can't say I can't say that I really like to watch people on screen butchering each other. Hmm. I had this conversation last night. Like I enjoy sort of the mood of Halloween in part because it's on Halloween. Although when you think about the movie, the timeline's out of whack. First of all, she carves that pumpkin way too late. She carves that pumpkin way too late. That that pumpkin gets carved at the end of the night. I mean, most of the people are already whacked. Most of the other babysitters have already been whacked by that time, right?
1: Hmm, and how does,
0: how does Michael Myers haul this gravestone without being seen from the graveyard into the suburb and mounted at the head of this bed? I mean, and then what's he thinking when he decides to wear the mask, throw a sheet on, and then throw glasses on? It's like, is he being a prankster or is he like, because I was looking at that going, what the? This guy doesn't, <laughs> this guy doesn't, he doesn't know any practicality.
2: It's but, uh,
3: a hat on a hat. Was it yeah. uh, was it Stan Zimmerman we had on the show when I called somebody a creepy pervert? Yes. Well, what, yeah. So not him, last, but somebody. Not is. not him, obviously. But yeah, the last time I said the word creepy pervert, uh, Tyson uh, came up with a great bleep for that. And uh, don't ask me how the hell I missed that, but I mean, oh. you know, I mean, it, it it is funny because if you think about it, you have two teenagers, right? Late seventies, nineteen seventy eight. You have two horny teenagers. First of all, they roll up in a a, a van, right? And they, you know, they get out of the van. All these beer cans are like so seven, he's pulling
0: up. A van. Yeah. So seven.
3: Anyway. Uh-huh. All these beer cans just fall out of the the truck. They're sneaking into someone else's house uh, for the 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 pure intent of having sex. Right. They, they do have sex, and then you know the guy goes down, gets the beer, whatever. He gets taken out, and then here comes Michael Myers, like you know, in, in a in a his costume and a ghost costume with a pair of glasses on. To me, that's that's like you know, that's like. Watching some creepy pervert outside your window at night, you, you know what I mean. Or, so, or a creepy pervert right. watching you. Right. Exactly. Right. So I mean, I, I, I think more so in that particular scene is probably more creepier than any other scene in that movie, just because basically you have a guy standing right there, mm-hmm. the pair of glasses on, and, and a ghost costume. Yes, Tyson. No, go ahead. I just wanted to when you when you finish, I have a, I gotta clarify something. But go ahead. Go ahead. Clarify something. I'm done.
2: Oh, okay. So this is I just want to clarify. I didn't specifically bleep out the words "creepy pervert." What? Okay. What he said was he said uh, "effing." Um, uh, oh. And then the word "rapist." And <laughs> right, right, right. So I tend to bleep. I use a specific bleep for each swear word or whatever that comes up, and I just didn't don't like the word "rapist," so I put a normal bleep over it, not a funny thing, because I don't think that that word should have a funny noise.
0: Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I love Stan Zimmerman. But ju- let me just get back to your point, Hunter, real quick. Uh, that's the idea, right? That this guy sort of trespasses against everything you hold sort of uh, sanctimonious, you know. So, I, I, you know, it's interesting. It's like <laughs> he, he walks through the. First of all, this this guy that's in the house, that's using the house for whatever he wants, and going in the kitchen and looking for more beer in someone else's house, that would be in certain states a killing offense anyway. Yes. So depending on how redneck the neighborhood was, right? So (laughs) he goes down and he's like robbing someone else's refrigerator and he's looking for beer and he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's doing what he's doing upstairs. It's not even his house. You know, it's come on. Like, why do you, why do you have the van in the first place? I'll point out a couple of things though about the movie. First of all, my daughter watched, she goes, it suddenly hit her once watching it. We were doing some research going into a project. We started tomorrow and she goes, High school? They're in high school? I thought they were in college this whole time because they look so old. You know? Right? And, I, and none of us questioned it when the movie came out when we were kids. None of us questioned it, right? Yeah. But it's it, it is funny because then when she when she said it, it did kind of hit home. Like yeah, they do kind of seem old for high school students. But the other thing too is watching that movie with my wife. She can't sit through it because she sits there and she goes, "I cannot believe this woman has." Like not twice, but three times, dropped the knife. (laughs) She goes, she goes, and she's the one that got us started on a really kind of famous combat radio clip with producer Dan Truly, who uh, was on it Law and Order SVU, where we were talking about how if the movie was, if if the Halloween movie took place in a movie in a neighborhood like Watts or Compton, how long would the movie actually go? And the our answer, our bet was somewhere between three and a half and four and a half minutes because. You know, it's just not, it's a little bit different than walking into some sort of Midwest suburbs. I mean, you go into those neighborhoods and those guys, that, those are the neighborhoods where they took down the Night Stalker. So it's funny because it's like, you can't, you watch this. I remember like watching It, It, the remake. And oh. those kids are going, their kids are going in the haunted house. Yeah, It sending in the frowns. Hmm. And, uh, the kids are going in the haunted house and my wife shakes her head and she goes,
1: that's such a weird thing.
0: <laughs> She's like, you wouldn't catch any of us. Willingly going into a haunted
3: house, right? That that is. You're right. She's absolutely right. That is. That is a, a such a white person thing because, you, you know, take uh, it's true. For, I mean, take for for example, you watch any like uh, horror movie involving like haunted houses and stuff like that, like you know, uh, Murder House on American Horror Story, yeah. the Amityville House, um, oh, in I'm Amityville, sorry. and it, it, nine times out at a ten, like they're selling it to some white people and they they give. The information, like, you know, like 13 or, you know, 20 people died here uh-huh. uh, viciously. And they're like, OK, well, where do we sign on the dotted line? Because we're moving in now. We're going to buy it. We're getting such a great deal, honey. Right. And, right. Uh, it, yeah, it is such a white person thing. Like you, the 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 intelligent thing to do would be like to go in the other direction, not walk into the house. But uh-huh. yeah. I I, I I do love the movie
0: though i'm not i i do love the movie for what it's worth and i know it sounds like we're being very disparaging it, but which one? it's a fun movie the halloween oh, okay yeah. it's yeah. a it's a fun movie in part because it doesn't really it's not about creative ways to dismember people which is what the new trailer looked like to me and it was actually very disturbing for me to watch firefighters get massacred after you know my house being a command post for the lafd and the, we have out here and the level of sacrifice. And I'm watching these, I'm watching these, uh, you know, these firefighters get killed by Michael Myers in the trailer. going, God, is that what these movies have come down to? It just a, you know, just creative ways to take a human body apart. Cause I thought I prefer the suspenseful aspects of it. Maybe that's just a matter of taste. I guess. I'm sorry.
2: No, it seems a little, I mean, is this new Halloween movie that's coming out? Is it also a Rob zombie thing? No, it's not. No. It's, it's actually no.
3: part of uh, a new a new uh, trilogy, I guess, or a new uh, new franchise. But They're here's the it. thing: yes, but when it comes to the Oy. Rob Zombie reboot, um, first of all, the the sequel sucked. Um, majorly disappointed in that. So if you ever don't don't even bother watching it. Um, the thing, the only thing I didn't like about the Rob Zombie remake was simply this. So when you looked at the original Halloween franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. You obviously know that at one point, Michael Myers, uh, he has a family, obviously, because that's what he spends his career doing, killing his family members and anybody else that gets in his way. His but you, you don't really know uh, how this human being became like such a wrath of nature. Like you don't know how he became like the supernatural force, because obviously, you know, in the second one. Or the, the end of the first one, you know, Dr. Loomis shot him like five times and then he fell off the balcony and then he just gets up and starts walking away. Well, you know that. It, well, his famous line from part two was Dr. Loomis. He's like, I shot him five times. I shot him. Sheriff, this guy isn't human. Yeah. And, you know, but the thing with the Rob Zombie remake was the fact that he made this 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 uh, evil force more humanized. When he showed like, him being a child and you know, killing animals and things like that. So I, I think that's what really destroyed the whole Michael Myers thing. It's kind of like when they did the remake of Friday the 13th. You know, they made Jason were uh, humanized by having him abduct people and kidnapping people, which he doesn't do to begin with.
0: I don't know that you need that. Honestly, I kind of like it more mysterious. Like, it's yes. just some shadow out of the horizon on Halloween. You know, Carpenter, I heard him pub- uh, privately say, he didn't really like that. And that was just something they worked into the sequel when they were desperate for Halloween two, the one that Rosenthal directed. Hmm. So, I I don't know necessarily that you need the whole family connection. I mean, it's almost kind of better that it's not, there's not a target that the neighborhood doesn't know who this guy's coming after every Halloween. Because, I mean, I think... You're one step away from it being the wicker man, right? He's coming for the strode girl, so let's grab her and let's uh, let's let's crucify right. her in the center of town. So this guy's let's get the sacrifice over like Dragon Slayer, right? Right. But it's almost kinda of better that he's coming into town and you don't know who he's gonna get and everyone's in danger. But that's just a personal preference as far as suspense works. You know, it's that's,
3: like that's however you I, want it. I agree, that's why I like it, because it is such a I like mysterious is what I like. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Well, I didn't like the uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake was because for the same reason they took this. They took Freddy Krueger, who was, in fact, yes, a child killer. But they turned him into a creepy little child toucher who lived in a, a, a posh uh, school basement. It's like, no, that's not what he was about. He, yes. Uh, uh, he had a house. He had a wife. He had a, a child. And nobody knew that he was the uh, the, the child slasher. Uh, in town until so they caught him and they, you know, they torched him. But you know, to to take him and turn him into a child toucher, it's it's such a it's such a disgusting, you know, uh, slap in the face on uh, and, you know that whole franchise that was such a great franchise from the '80s. It was just why was well, well, no,
0: well, that, okay. that's a dark so it's that's a dark element to add to a movie. And I think honestly, it takes a lot of the fun out of it. I mean, the homicidal rate is enough to kind of be a little disturbed by. I mean, I'm all in for. Some of that, but, you know, just a personal preference, I guess. I mean, it's hard to make a movie. I've been on a few, and it's hard to make a movie. These guys, you know, they come up with creative ideas. Sometimes they're vetoed. You know, I was in a meeting with Mustafa Khan and his son over at Trankis when he was alive. You know, and it's, it's interesting to see how the mind works of the guy that's cutting the check, mm-hmm. you know, and, what, and what's of value to him versus what the creator's want to do and creatively do. And it's hard. And you get a kind of a hodgepodge of people desperately trying to reinvent the wheel on something that I don't necessarily know needs to be reinvented. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm quite frankly, and I hate to say this because I loved Halloween when it came out. I was a big John Carpenter advocate as a kid. He didn't get much respect, but I feel it's tired. I feel like it's not, it's okay. Uh, We get it. He's going to go on a killing spree. Like there's no inventiveness to it. My daughter came up with the best Halloween sequel I've ever heard, which is you get you get The Rock calling Boulder Johnson and one other guy and they know Michael Myers is in this town so they cordon off the town and they send in these two guys with weapons and it's almost like a buddy comedy horror movie where they go and blow half the fucking town up and <laughs> Boulder Johnson against Mike Myers and then at, when the whole movie's over and Napalm is taken out half the buildings you know, you have a clown pop out of the gutter and now it's Pennywise in the next movie, you know and you kind of just go, it's the only way you can spin it is like with some sort of comic almost scary slash slightly satirical. I I just don't know. It's like the, and I hate to say this because I know I'm tramping on the work of artists, but Hmm. it seems tired. The storylines just don't seem inventive. They seem almost exhausting to see.
2: It could breathe life into the genre.
0: Like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. I just, honestly, you
2: know, like having Carl Stella meets Frankenstein kind of thing.
0: Well, Yeah, and that was fun. That stuff was fun, and it worked at the time. It was really the only way to step to the left on that whole franchise with those monsters. You remember? I mean, we weren't alive for it, but if you look at the historical timeline of the making of those things, you know they'd done everything you could possibly do. They had all met each other in melee's, and Mm -hmm. that didn't work out so great. So you fuse in another couple of guys that are from another universe, but fit really well, and they bring this whole new dimension. You got a whole another set of classics, but. I don't know what you can do. I don't. I really don't know what the solution is. I'm just brainstorming out loud and pontificating in a way I probably shouldn't on a open microphone.
2: Well, it's you know, it's a very common kind of like so. Whether it's a boogeyman or a kaiju, there's this. So it's always it's always us against thing, and then us against Mm -hmm. some other thing, and then eventually it's first thing against second thing, and then sometimes it's big thing against other big thing, and you know.
0: I can't tell. I can't tell Halloween 5 from whatever Halloween we're on apart. That's the sad thing. You guys probably can. You're way more articulate than I am. I think it was the re- t- Revenge. Return, Return, Return revenge. revenge, Resurrection. Oh, I mean, they have cool titles. Don't yeah. get me wrong. The titles are fantastic. But, I mean, I saw one where a guy was in a field and, like, the lights went out. And then saw Michael Myers standing there and the lights went out again. Michael Myers was a little closer when the lights in the field came back. I don't know why there's lights in the field. And then like he's like, "Who is, this? is that?" Danny, I'm like, "No, we all know. It's there's no suspense here. We all know what's going to happen. This is a real tired way to do it. Yeah. I just feel like everyone's like, "All right, I got the directing assignment." They're right. giving me it's like a Hallmark movie now for for horror fans. Like they're giving me 21 <laughs> days and a budget of 6 million. Here we go. <laughs> so that's what it feels like to the viewer never mind this is starting to become very derogatory and I apologize
2: you know what's a, there's one uh, fairly inventive film that's come out in the last few days or a few days the last uh, let's say the last five, oh, five years has it been five now I think it came out in 2017 Ethan did you ever see um, uh, Dave Made a Maze no how is it it's really good sure. it's a different kind of uh, horror film it's almost not a horror film but it's it's kind of like a, it's um Gosh, so it's a, there's a, the main character is a a guy named Dave and it's played by Nick Thune, uh, the comedian and personality, I suppose. And uh, he builds a labyrinth made of cardboard in the middle of the home that uh, he and his girlfriend share because it's his way of dealing with his issues. And then he gets stuck in his labyrinth and people have to come in and try and rescue him. So there's all these creatures and things happening and it's all made out of cardboard. So there's like a cardboard minotaur, there's, you know, cardboard booby traps. It's, uh, it's a really, really inventive thing. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a look. Um, it's directed by a guy named, I, guy named Bill Watterson. It's not the Calvin and Hobbes, Bill Waterson It's the other Bill Watterson. I was
0: going to say that's a series for you, to develop, but, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to take your recommendation on that and see that. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the wall buddy episode of regular shows. So instead of clean their rooms they bring in like a portable wall system that actually just walls that section and mess off and looks like the room.
1: <laughs>
0: and then the wall kind of comes to life and reconfigures itself and before they know it they're attacked by the wall of course it's a common show, very clever Neat. so when you said like <laughs> so labyrinth in the middle of the room i thought it's the wall buddy episode irregular uh, bill Salyers, oh please roger craig smith is smiling someplace anyway. yeah
2: uh, that's pretty funny i uh, know uh yeah so yeah, they've made a maze. That's a, that's a, definitely a recommendation.
3: So where can we, uh, find that? Oh gosh, I don't know. I didn't make the movie. All right. Uh, well, honestly, it's, probably, it's probably
2: on Amazon Prime. I imagine it might be on YouTube. Um, uh, as, I mean, for, for pay, not for necessarily for free. Although it could be free with ads. It's hard to say.
0: Um, eventually I'm just going to buy
1: it. You know, I'll-
0: I will find it. All these movies tend to kind of surface. You know, a lot of them are surfacing on YouTube, actually. I mean, well, plus Lost Boys right now is free on I mean. YouTube. Yeah, Dave made that's where, I, that's where I watch it.
2: It's it free with ads on Amazon Prime right now, but it might be on other okay. services. It might be on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, well,
0: it, hmm. if you guys want to do something fun someday, we got to mic up my wife and do an audio commentary on a movie. Oh, that's a great. Her, well, her, her, an her perspective, that's just that
2: Did you have absolutely. One, absolutely one in mind, or... Um,
0: any, anyone. I mean, Halloween is the one we just did where, I mean, she does it anyway, like she, whether she's on the mic or not. But she was just like, holy <laughs> shit, this woman just dropped a knife again. You know, it's just so funny because, uh, you know, to see how people would have reacted, you know. It's interesting, though. You know what I like about that movie, too, now that I think about it is the absence of technology, right? There's no cell phones or anything like that. Yes. Like they're running around and she has to go door to door to get help.
3: Oh, yeah. And no one's answering. Or, no one's answering the doors. Uh-huh. Right, and the though, phones off like, the hook. And one of the things—I mean—that used to be yeah, a
0: big deal. Yeah. If you
2: didn't want to be called, you'd take your phone off the hook.
0: Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah, that was a big deal. I remember when call waiting was miraculous. Considered miraculous as a kid. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, now you can cut in on a phone call instead of getting a busy signal." But you know, it's interesting because, like I said, the timeline on the movie's way off. They carved that pumpkin way too late. Like her whole babysitting agenda and schedule—it uh-huh. needs adjustment. Like clearly, she didn't grow up. And a household that love Halloween like, Come on, Lori, you're this, you're carving this thing at midnight. They're already right. through watching the thing from another right. world. Oh, you yeah. know, it's interesting. Oh, yeah,
3: it's, it's, <laughs> yeah and, you're right. And she, the trick or treaters are out in the middle of the afternoon,
0: which I guess is okay. It adds a little you know, holiday ambiance.
3: But I mean, you're right, she did she did uh, you know, she waited way too friggin' late to carve that pumpkin and you know, it's I barely remember the pumpkin. But... Oh, I do.
0: I I it's funny. It's funny because like, Nick Castle does not do it. He does a great job as the shape.
1: Mm.
0: He uh, really, moves really well, but he does not do a great job in killing them. And you can only guess that he was uncomfortable choking women as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> because you look at his hand, it's very loose in the car. It's very loose in the, when he's trying to kill her with the phone. It's like you can almost see them wanting to say in between takes, like, you got to do a better job, man. I mean, I'm not, I <laughs> don't for a second buy into this. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah the de- the victim totally sells the death scene always, oh yeah, but uh, in this particular case, the victim's working against him. that's pretty funny it's
3: like he, he goes, probably does he he probably does feel uncomfortable like you know running around choking women he's like, yeah, it's not really my thing, but you know I need understandable money. understandable
0: you know i mean it, it still works i don't hear I mean, many I've only seen the movie hundreds of times, like every Halloween that's like a religion, so hmm. It doesn't cut into my enjoyment of the piece, but having watched it so much, you know, you start to notice these. Things. I'm going to try to go to the cemetery tomorrow too, where they shot some of the cemetery. You know, and they, when NBC bought the movie, they had to shoot extra footage, and that's why there's those added scenes. And some people think those were original outtakes, but they were actually shot later for the NBC cut. And as Carpenter said, he hoed out for the money. It was a great price for NBC, so they shot two additional scenes, which is Loomis explaining to like the board of doctors how dangerous Michael Myers is. You need you need that scene, right? Like nobody nobody's got any tabs on this maniac in the system, right? It's like why would you need to tell us how dangerous this guy is? We've had him in custody for like two decades. We know this guy's a. But anyway, there's that scene where he's trying to explain how dangerous Michael Myers is. Well, there's well, it's
2: for our benefit, of course.
0: Yes, it is right because we need to know. Right? right, And it's funny because I love seeing the wrench in the palm of the hand when it breaks the window. And the thing I keep thinking when I see that scene is I can't believe they actually broke that window next to that actress's head. Mm. Like mm. that seems really dangerous at the time. And there's probably no, there's probably no safety on this set. Well, you, I know know
3: saying, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's crazy because you, you do mention that. But if you look at um, and this is a completely different movie, of course, if you look at The Shining, right? Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kerbick uh Kubrick, right yeah kubrick 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 thank you tyson mm-hmm. um he he really went out of his way to uh what was the actress's name played wendy shelly Duvall. yes he he went out of his way to wreck her nerves um in between takes so that she was nice and scared so you know he he brought down a hell upon this woman and how she didn't lose her marbles uh, is beyond me. So it's, you know, I mean, that has to be part of like health and safety, right? Like shooting a movie or something like that.
0: You know, in theory, you would think, I mean, here's the thing. I know a lot about The Shining because Leon Mitali, who was Kubrick's longtime assistant. And he cast the little boy in that. We went to the Kubrick Museum with him and he broke down everything
1: mm-hmm.
0: for us, not only on the tour, but over drinks. And you know, you have brunch with the guy and he just tells Kubrick's story after Kubrick's story and it's fantastic. I'm not a huge Kubrick fan, but I have a lot of respect. For him.
1: Hmm.
0: When it comes to The Shining, first thing he always says is "Everyone loved Jack." Which is easy to see. Anyone I know who worked with Jack Nicholson when he did Batman, love him. Love him. With other actors, they can be more challenging. And one of the things I noticed is that Kubrick is totally demanding. He's going to want a certain performance. He's going to want it a hundred times before. Like there's that famous story from that movie where he, Nicholson, who was a reserve firefighter, takes the axe and cuts the door down, right? And the story is okay, take one, let's do it again. Take 10, let's do it again. Two days later, they're okay. Take 80, do it again. Take 120, do it again. And Nicholson finally turns to Kubrick and says, Stanley, I'm with you. I usually peak around the 80th or 90th take. Right. So what that tells you, though, is that Nicholson is wired a certain way for respect to directors, if he respects them, and Kubrick he clearly did respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Trying to get the best performance and being a pro. There's no sense of pro to that. With, with Duvall, I see a little bit of what you're saying, Hunter, which is Kubrick riding her, but I also see her doing things that make directors typically crazy on the set, which is, look, my hair is falling out and it's coming out in clumps. And there's like two or three hairs. And Kubrick's like, look, I don't have time for this. I'm, ch- I've got a snowstorm. I got a, I got a, a you know, cadaver with an accident's body. You know, it's, <laughs> I feel like that it's kind of like it is Kubrick. But it's also like certain triggers that devolve, who actually, by the way, is a pretty sharp producer herself and went through a pretty good thing doing fairy fairytale theater for kids in the 80s and 90s. Oh, Very yeah. sharp lady good and stuff. a great performer. She was great as olive oil. Mm-hmm. But I just think what you what you're witnessing is kind of a, a clash of personalities in a way where they just trigger each other too to make what should normally be like a friction at 20 percent friction at 80 uh, percent. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? I'm not excusing mm-hmm. Kubrick. Uh, and I have huge respect for DeVault, but it seemed like I see her saying things in the behind the scenes footage where I'm like, oh, "That, would make sense.
1: <laughs> so that would maybe,
0: if somebody said that to me in the middle of trying to figure out and Kubrick's rewriting everything at the time. So his mind is working in a certain way where he can only probably adjust to a certain key thing or two that he needs to focus on. And if it's one of those dramatic sort of actors things that actors do, you know, you snap. And the one thing you don't get is you didn't you didn't get any of that from Nicholson. I mean, there's that, have you seen the footage that Vivian Kubrick shot, Stanley's mm-hmm. daughter, on the film? It's great. It's, it's great
2: in uh, one of the editions of The Shining that uh, also has the original aspect ratio in four Dude, by Dude, it
0: is some of, it's fantastic. So you know what I'm talking about. It's some yeah. of the best footage I've ever seen of any movie shot it's because it's so handy. It. Yeah, and he goes to, yes. like, the assistant. And you see Kubrick, like, typing new scenes, like, in, and, and Nicholson says, sometimes we get new scenes and I don't even look at the script anymore. I'll get a new scene in the morning and I'll, that scene will change by lunch and I'll get a third version of it by, before that we're called for dinner. And I just do what's handed to me the best of my ability. So you can, that tells you something about the set and the environment they were working in. And, uh, and I've got, I'll remind me to tell you my Stephen King story in a minute, but, um, so, but there's a moment where Stanley's assistant runs upstairs. Uh, listen, if you got time tonight, here's some new pages for tomorrow. And Nicholson's response is, oh, that's, that's so wonderful, Alice. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was just wondering what I was going to do between 2 and 4 in the morning. <laughs>
1: it's like <laughs> the, the whole tired
0: actor, like, like just this. And he's like winking at the camera when he does it because he's a pro. And that's the thing I saw. And that's why you, that guy gets the best the, the best deal, best contract, the most respect is because that guy is 100% bent on delivering. And I, I mean, I can tell you, I know people that worked on him on, with him on dozens of movies. And I cannot find anyone that has had anything negative to say. In fact, Rob Reiner says on a few good men, they, they outran his schedule. He was supposed to be done. Hmm. And he said, damn, and Rob Reiner said to Jack, damn, I wish I had you for one more day. There's just one shot I want. And Jack Nicholson goes, just tell me when you need me. You showed up the following day for free. The real world listening to this would probably think, What's the big deal? But I can tell you that's a huge deal when an actor of that caliber shows up for free to get the shot the director should have already had in the bag Why the actor is scheduled. And that kind of tells you something. But uh I asked Leon, why do you think Stephen King is so has been since the movie came out so rebellious towards it, right? Because we all know the history. Do we do we know the history? Yep, he didn't yeah. like it. Some bit. He didn't, like. Yeah. He didn't Leon, like it. Leon seems to think that that's because, and there, I think there's some truth to this, because Kubrick barred him from the set until like at last day at the end when they set up kind of a fake set for Stephen King to visit, and Kubrick wasn't even there. They set up like a nonsense set of like shots and cameras and stuff, and I think King is smart enough and certainly new enough to know that he was being disrespected. Like he's not even being shown the real deal. Like, why have I been shut out? I show up and these guys are putting this, pulling one over on me and they're pulling one over on me and they, they know they're pulling one over on and I know they know and you know and I know, he knows and he knows and it's like, mm-hmm. and Leon seems to think that that might have something to do with, because uh, you know, King endorses movies on his product that are pure shit. <laughs> they're terrible. And that's a pretty strong movie, I think. I mean, I don't love it, but I I think it's executed in a way that is very professional. You can't help but admire it.
3: Put it to this way: I'm a huge, huge, huge Stephen King fan, right? Um, I loved The Shining book itself. Uh, I thought that was uh, an excellent read. In fact, I probably should reread it at some point. But as far as like the the, I've, I've seen the Stephen King's remake of The Shining. That was fantastic. Loved it. And I've also grew up with uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's version of The Shining. That was the only movie that scared the ever-loving sh- sorry Tyson scared the ever-loving shit out of me as a child. Um, particularly when he walks into that room and he starts making out with the naked lady, and it turns into like a dead, rotting corpse, and she starts coming at him with you know her hands extended, laughing. <laughs> I mean, scared me so bad that the only way I was able to overcome it was I had to be in the house by myself. And I was with all the lights off and I made myself sit there and watch it and rewatch it and rewatch it until finally it just became funny to me at that point. But that was the only thing that ever scared the crap out of me was that scene. I mean, that movie, I, I have to give it props because it, it's such a classic movie. It, I mean, the shots, you know, the, the, the jump scares, the music, um, it, it's fabulous. Great
0: performance by that actress, too, by the way. She doesn't give enough credit because she sells that. Yeah,
3: she does. I mean, he just comes, like, walking in. You know, here he is, you know, uh, and, and he sees, like, this gorgeous n- naked lady in the bathtub who starts making out with him, and he's all about it, right? And then all of a sudden, he just, like, opens his eyes. He's like, oh, he's making that noise, backing up, and she's just like, ha, Oh my god. It's, it's,
0: you know, you can stay in that room. You can go to the actual hotel and stay in the room and you can even go in the, uh, what is it? The maze, but it's only about waist hot. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, what is it? The hedge maze. It's like basically four and a half feet high or something. It's pretty fun. Oh, but you cool. can go, yeah, you can go experience it. You know, that's the trick now with a lot of these movies. They recognize that they can turn these into sort of miniature theme parks like Shawshank. They all got a next, they all got the gift shop and you can see, oh, yeah. you know, Prison set and all these other things. And anyway, so it's like, yeah, you can go to the hotel and it's open for business and it's not as scary as the movie makes you feel it should be. And, uh, you hang out.
2: I mean, Ferndale still gets its fair amount of tourism for, uh, you know, having been in Salem's lot and outbreak and the majestic and various other things. Mostly those mm-hmm. because that's the most visually recognizable stuff.
0: Which uh, Salem lot was it? Was it the Toby Hooper? Toby Hooper's. Yeah. Uh, Toby Hooper was my buddy. I don't know if you knew that. Oh yeah, my condolences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Intrig- Love my kid. He thought she was the most magnificent kid when she was like two or three years old. You know, we we went to the rap party of Mor- Mortuary movie he did, and like my, kid, my kid's first experience at a rap party. She's just dancing around, you know, and he's just like, uh, he's like,
1: this kid is amazing.
0: This kid is amazing, you know. Like just like totally, fully like like embrace this like this little kid at this like monster rap party with like zombies walking around and stuff. Anyway, that's okay. enough about Tobio, but classic. Uh, an underappreciated guy that gets a lot of sh**. By the, excuse my language. I'm sorry. I forget. This is not combat radio where anything goes language-wise. It's alright. But, but uh, yeah, it gets a, he gets a rash of abuse times, but I think he also deserves a lot of credit.
2: I, I actually like, I thought Life Force was a pretty interesting film.
0: You know, it's, it's better than I remembered it. I saw it recently, and it was one of those trailers as a kid when you see it at like five and six, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I can make it through that movie. That movie looks intense. And then you see it, and you go, it's pretty impressive. You know, Nick Melee was one of the effects guys on that. He's a combat radio veteran, and he told us some behind-the-scenes stories about it. Some of the other guys that were on it did, too. That movie was supposed to be huge, and it was a bitter disappointment to him. And you know there's the whole book. Po- Poltergeist story. I did a commentary on a Poltergeist trailer about how much Toby Hooper directed versus Steve Silver. Yeah, there was
2: a bit of you controversy know. whether or not... uh Yeah, well, you could probably tell it better. Sure. Well,
0: no, I mean the controversy is, in a nutshell, who directed it. Right? That's the argument. But here's the thing that's interesting, right? I remember sitting at the Rainbow with Gunnar Hansen with the original leather. Good friend. He was the backup Santa. Fun peace fact peace. that nobody knows. Yes, rest in peace. Loved him. When uh, I told my daughter he passed away, that's the first time I saw her in shell shock start crying. Wow. He was such a generous guy. Uh, everyone loved him. Everyone loved him. Very smart. He was a writer, lived in Maine, very cerebral. Um, got in constant arguments about people who would come up to him at conventions and tell him they knew the real Leatherface or related to the Leatherface or Leatherface killed their family. And he would get in an argument saying, Leatherface is not real. Get over it. And yeah. people say, oh, no, he absolutely is. And he's in this prison. And you would be like, no, no he isn't. No, he's not. And he, I saw him a couple of times get in these arguments of, like, Days of the Dead and stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but anyway, so I'm with, I'm at dinner with him one night. And he goes, Toby Hooper only directed one scene of Poltergeist. And it's the scene where the chairs end up on the table in the kitchen. And the haunting is just starting. A great shot. Stop. Yeah, stop right there. So, Another friend of mine who I love dearly, he's also passed away is in poltergeist as one of the guys putting one of the construction dudes putting the pool in. And that's Sonny Landon who went on to play play Billy the Indian and Predator. Oh, yeah. He's in that. That's right. Yeah, he is in it. He is in it. And I loved him. He's the reason we have combat radio. I don't think a lot of people know that, but he's the reason we have the show. Anyway, so he, Connor says, says that to me. Now I'll tell you what I think of the whole conspiracy. I know I'm boring out of your audience, but, um, Gunner oh, says. Our, our,
3: our audience loves this type of stuff.
0: No, they've gone to bed a long time ago. When they heard I was your guest, they tuned out. But for the three of us here, um, Gunner says that's the only scene he directed. Now, what's interesting about that is that's the only scene I ever saw Toby Hooper publicly talk about. However, I look at the whole movie, and I know Oliver Robbins has said differently. Oliver Robbins has said he was only directed by Toby Hooper. I look at that movie, and that movie definitely has some Toby Hooperism in it, there's no doubt. And I think it has Steven Spielberg's fingerprints all over it, because he was the producer, and he's a hands-on guy, so he got in the trenches and probably said, no, block it like this, set this up. So, in a nutshell, Gunnar Hansen's argument was that Toby Hooper was a shut-in, Toby Hooper didn't really direct too much of it, and this is not, we're not bashing anyone, this is the public record of the production.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, uh, when you know, they did not, they didn't, Toby Hooper and Gunnar Hansen, who have the Texas Chainsaw history Mm -hmm. together, we're not speaking together. No, we're not speaking to each other at this time. Hmm. And my understanding is they both passed away without ever kind of coming together. Reconciling. If, yeah, if that happened, I didn't know about it and I knew them both pretty well. Uh, but, um, so Gunner said, you know, he directed one scene, but I think he directed actually much more than that. Kind of a wrap. And I think Spielberg got in the trenches on it and did whatever he could do, but that's the, that's the argument that, who directed it? The answer is they both did, basically, but it was probably more Hooper than people want to get credit for.
3: Now, my thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because this, because it's in my head now because we we're talking about it. Um, and, of course, I think this might be pure speculation, something I read off the Internet years ago, whatever the hell it is. Obviously, Leatherface himself, Texas family, you know, killing people, eating people wasn't real. Um if it was actually based on any, if it was actually based on any any truth, would probably be more close to Ed Gain, um, because Ed Gain would eat people. He would wear the skin of women that he skinned from cemeteries and things like that. So,
1: mm-hmm.
3: it it's basically loosed off. Uh, basically, uh, it's off that. It's it's that's what I'd heard anyway. But as far as like Leatherface being like a real person, no. Not at all. I've
0: heard heard that, too. But Gunnar always said that Ed Gein kind of came into the conversation when they were on the production. because of Like in the way he, what the stories of him may have inspired set design and the layout of the house. Uh, But I'll tell you something else, too, about that. And and Gunnar wrote a very good book that I have. I can probably get you a copy of it. Um, I would like to read that. He broke down the entire production day for day. And, you know, he was alienated on the set because he only had one set of wardrobes. That quick so he was like put off the pasture when they took the a break you know hmm. um but he said you know the reason people think it's real is because john larriquette night court fame does that great narration in the beginning that's so convincingly real mm-hmm. and the rumor was that he did it for like uh a pod or oh a story. and uh that's fine john larrick yeah john larrick did a great job and Everyone in that movie fantastic. I met Daniel Pearl when I was at one We brought him in to see about him shooting a movie we were getting ready to do called Respect the Dead. He had just done Pathfinder, which was a Viking movie there. Fight movie. And, uh, I brought him in and all we kept talking about was that shot in Texas Chainsaw Massacre under the swing set and how he did it. Now they told him not, they weren't going to do it. They didn't have time to do it. It couldn't be accomplished. And they got that shot and they're just, it's so funny how sometimes you meet someone for a job and it just kind of circulates to this one little bit of discussion.
2: You know? Anyway, hmm. part of it. No, it really is not I mean, this kind of stuff is always fascinating to me.
3: So now I did yeah. see, not to cut you off, Tyson. I remember, and it, it could be BS, but I remember back in I want to say late eighties, early nineties, there was a documentary or something I seen on TV that had something to do with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, with an actual uh, real-life person. But, I mean, again, you know, those documentaries, like how, you know, I don't know if it was true, not true, whatever, just, you know, trying to grab some attention on TV. I don't know, but I do remember seeing something about it, but,
0: you know. Well, when I asked Toby about it, and I did, you know, his response was, God, no. And why is it based on God?
3: No, it's definitely not.
0: I mean, it's probably based on something now because society's broken like that. But I mean, or you could say something that's based on the movie,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which. But you know, I mean, here's the thing: like that movie was so disturbing. And the house actually, for one, for a bit of a time, was a barbecue joint in Texas before it closed down, Mm -hmm. and they moved. it. They moved the house. You know, it's interesting because like the internet got has a lot of really interesting guys doing like location videos and and stuff, Mm -hmm. and I respect it. It's very entertaining, but I would say. Mm S- a significant point part of it is sometimes wrong because you know we always kind of look at the production notes or talk directly to the directors and the actors on it and it's like some of the some so and i saw a location video on that that got some of those facts wrong the house was actually moved and
3: it was sure, so. well, it's so actually it's hmm? actually pretty funny in today's modern world with technology being the way it is yeah um oh. it's it's very hard to uh be isolated I'm frozen no I am but I, I can oh, yeah. still hear you guys don't worry um,
2: no, I just unfroze okay that was weird okay it, it happens, just, just, it with, happens. With, with
3: today's with today's technology and modern uh modern civilization it, it's very hard to be isolated no uh in this country no matter where you live whether you live in the desert out in the middle of the woods and it's it's also very hard to be a serial killer and with today's forensics and, and technology so it's it's you know, to to say that there's, you know, I mean, it would be, I don't, I don't want to say it's cool that if there's somebody mimicking t- uh, Leatherface out there somewhere, but oh, if no. there was, he, no, yeah, I guess if, you know, but it wouldn't be cool really, but uh-uh. he wouldn't be able to pull that off for very long is what I'm trying to say. I mean, here you had a bunch of wackos. We would hope. You no. Know, living out in east texas somewhere mm-hmm. you know bumble f- there and you know they were they were dicing people up and eating people and, and things like that so i mean you know and, and to be fair about this okay to be fair about this I, uh, who was the dude uh who was the dude that was at the gas station talking to the to the teenagers trying to find their uncle's house or whatever it was their grandfather's house he did warn them he said do not go there you don't want to go there it's it's a, the, the place Wait, that- what
0: movie is this now
3: uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When they're at oh, the yeah. gas station filling up, and the the old man's at the gas station, um, oh, right, right. And, and he's like, "You don't want to go there. You know, it's dirty. You know, you got, you got the kid with the wheelchair. Like, you, know, you should just gas up, take my barbecue, and drive on." The problem with these horror movies is, and I've seen this in multiple horror movies, is when you roll up in the middle of nowhere to a gas station with an old man who says, "Don't go somewhere. You should probably take his advice and not go to the place you're wanting to go to." I mean, yeah. well, it was, that's
0: part of being a dumb kid, right? Right. You don't listen to but adults. it
3: was, it was He's in, uh, it was in Demon Wind. It was in, um, it was in Texas. Uh, it was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was in um, what was the other movie it's I was thinking game. of? It's a trope. Right. It was in um, Wrong Turn. Oh. Um, you know. I right. have to tell
0: you, this is a good time for me to admit it. I don't actually love horror. I just happen to know about certain ones where we were affiliated with cast and crew. It's like. You're mentioning movies. I, I like Demon Wind. Like that almost okay, sounds so, like an old Kurosawa samurai movie, or a metal movie. Uh,
3: Demon Wind was an '80s movies. Uh, a, uh, oh God, a, a, a movie in the '80s that basically was all kinds of cheesiness. I mean, it was, or it might have been early '90s, but it was still that's every movie that was every.
1: Right. 80s, but right? but
3: yes and no. But this 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 took it to the next level. I mean, this is almost on the same level as Dune. And I'm think- sorry.
0: Well, why do you say it's on the next level of Dune? Are you it's a on divider? the same
3: level. No, no. As a kid, I loved Dune. Loved it. We're talking uh, David Lynch's Dune, right? Yes. Okay. The original movie, with Pat- Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh-huh. So when I rewatched it as an adult a few years back, it was just. It, it, I'm sorry, but here you have, like, you're, you're in a distant galaxy on, an, uh, on whole other planets, and, you know, they're, they're in a galactic war, and here comes Sir Patrick Stewart running out with a, with a dog. In his hands, and you have a cat, and yeah, it's just, you know, no, I'm yeah, it a,
0: no, no, the, the, the Duke has a dog, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Dune is one of the legendary mishaps in Hollywood. That was a massive movie, and those guys were all signed to a three-picture deal because that was going to be, you know, Universal Star Wars. I'll tell you, if you want to know anything about Dune, the guy to talk to is producer Ed Naha. He's on my Facebook, he's easy to find. He was tasked by Universal to go down to the production and write the behind the scenes production book on it during production. He's got all the dirt on Dune. We did like we we've talked to him for hours sometimes about Dune. Dune's one of the great mystifying movies of all time. It had so much promise and it's such a train wreck of a movie. Oh it uh, is. I mean and, I mean it had and, and how very... many characters? How many characters have an inner monologue on that movie? Fourteen, fifty? Do you need a bunch of characters going? Right. Shut up! Let the audience figure it out.
3: Exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it had a very strong cast oh. with very strong actors. Very expensive was, cast a very about. expensive cast. But I just, I, I mean, watching it as an adult uh, in my late 30s, I just couldn't. I just couldn't get around it. Like I tried. I watched maybe like 20 minutes of it, and I'm like, yeah, this is not what I remember as a child. Uh, click. I turned it off. I, I, I couldn't do it. Um, it, it was oh, like. Really?
0: The movie does a lot of things right. Where it falls short is in the effects. That's where the budget seemed to run out. The costumes, the production design, brilliant. The cast is brilliant. It's actually mapped out in a very effective way if you compare it to the book. I think the movie starts at a perfect point for a movie to start. The book starts with the Reverend Mother coming to test Paul. The movie starts with the Navigator showing up to talk to the Emperor. Now, I don't think you need the Emperor's daughter giving you a bunch of backstory. I think you just set the scene and let the audience figure it out that there's an Emperor and a galactic command system. Hmm. So that was an interesting place to do it. But if you look at the creature, the Navigator created by Ribaldi, who did E.T., it's not convincing. So the movie starts to lose you right away with the practical effects and the special effects. It just doesn't really have the firepower you want for a space epic. And if you patch it up to movies at the time, we just saw Return of the Jedi, Hmm. where those things were done real well. And so you got a movie that kind of feels like an Italian sort of Cardboard cutout version of sort of space monsters and stuff. It's going to really run shallow real quick. Now I'll tell you a fun story. Toto came through our our studio and you know they were tasked to doing the soundtrack with Brian Eno on that. Mm-hmm. Dave Lynch pitched it to him by inviting him down to Bob's Big Boy on Riverside Drive, which if you know Warner Brothers Studios, it's basically right across the street. It's sort of an uh, unofficial sort of command production office for everyone at Warner Brothers. When they want to get away, they go to Bob's Big Boy, and I've never understood it because the place is semi-terrible, but he invites Toto down for uh, a meeting there, and I ask Bobby Kimball, tell us about the meeting with David Lynch's Dude Dune, that was such a great call, you know, that, and, and Bobby Kimball well. was I didn't want to talk about that too much on the air, because that's when I, the band was trying to fire me. Mm-hmm. So, I would have the me- we'd have the meeting with David Lynch, and they were trying to fire me at the same meeting, you know, and it's just kind of hilarious that, that's you know, funny. these things, these big production things happen, like, I'll meet you for burgers, at Bob's Big Boy, and we'll get this whole soundtrack deal sorted out. But Lynch is a very likable guy and a very interesting guy to listen to. Just oh, yeah. for whatever reason, his movies have never struck a chord with me. Like I I argue with director Steve Sergik, one of our regulars, who directs The Witcher and Umbrella Academy. He loves Lynch, and he loves Eraserhead. He thinks Eraserhead is a masterpiece.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm sorry, if you love Eraserhead, that is your privilege. If everyone in Lynch Nation, keep loving it, keep watching it, <laughs> worship it. That is the most confusing fucking melodramatic piece of crap I've ever seen in my life, probably. up top of my head. I cannot get my head around that movie. But he loves it. And, you know, it's so funny. So there's some people that really, really respond to Lynch, and that's what movies are about. That's I love that they have that reaction. Me, I'm just one of these guys who goes, I don't get it. And that's probably what they hate about me, but
3: there you go. Well, it's a nightmare. Well, it's kind <laughs> of like, oh. Like, huh? But, um, yeah, go ahead. You ever uh, watched... Um Again, because it's on my mind. You ever watched uh, the 80s version of uh, Flash Gordon? For me?
0: Or? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Both of no. you guys. Never. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell you I, about it. I, I love this movie. Um, Why? As a, I, I just loved it as a child growing up. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I like a few the songs. months. A few months back, it, it popped into my head. I, I wanted to watch it again, so I bought it off Prime, right? Yeah. And the opening beginning is where uh, uh, the uh, the emperor of sorts in A Distant Galaxy is talking to his metal-faced... Uh, Ming the Merciless. You know, yes. Yeah, Ming the Merciless. Yeah. He's talking to his metal fa- uh, metal-faced metal go uh, you know, do all my shit, boy. And he's yes. like... Uh, really a
0: performance by that actor, too. But yes. both actors, by the way.
3: And he's like, I'm bored you know, uh, what plaything can you offer me today? And he goes, I have this planet, your majesty. Uh, the inhabitants call it the planet Earth. And so when you look at like uh, uh, Ming the Merciless's uh, you know, toys of destruction, like his, his things, it says earthquake. It says floods and everything else. Now, why would you have it labeled earthquake if you never heard of the planet before or that the fact that it's called Earth? That's a
1: good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know but, wow. I,
3: I mean, it is cheesy beyond all hell, but I love the movie uh, so much, in fact, that I, I can forgive its cheesiness because I know it's cheesy right off the bat. Right up the, the difference between that and Dune is that Dune was trying to be, again, what Ethan said was like a, a, an Italian version of a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And wow. Flash Gordon, you know, right off the bat, like, hey, we're friggin cheesy. Deal with it. And Let- I can appreciate that.
0: Let me clarify, I didn't say, I didn't mean the movie was in Italian, I just thought, you know, the effects team was Italian, they didn't even speak English, and it kind of felt like something out of like sort of European, you know, theater. Not bad, but not very effective either, I would have to say, and I think a lot of that was due to budget time. If you think that the worm effects work and do, and I don't think they do, and I think they should have shipped. But that's my production call, if I was to make it, because if something if a practical effect doesn't work don't force it if your eye can detect it, it's not real don't put it in the audience it takes it right out of it but i i wasn't being I wasn't coming down on italians congratulations
3: I, I'm Italian up. but I, I'm I, so right
0: but you I, made I, it sound like I was trying to like no to a strong not, bully shooting gallery and I'm no, not awesome. at,
3: not at all because for, I mean first of all the when it comes to Italians making movies they either go in or they don't they they so it's like a hit or miss so like for example right. when they did uh, demons one and two, for example, they absolutely <laughs> killed it. They killed it. it th- those two movies were fantastic. Um, but now take like for example, um, Rat's Night of Terror, not so much. Not so much. Right now, take we're like, losing for example, Tyson,
0: that's that's your cue, Hunter. We're losing Tyson.
3: We're losing Tyson. Uh, so now take like for example, years ago, uh, a buddy of mine told me about this movie called uh, Blood for Dracula or something like that, where Dracula has to go to Italy to find. Of course,
0: Sorry, of course it is. Christopher Lee Phil.
3: It wasn't Christopher Lee. No? It was... Blood no, Picasso, Dracula, no.
0: It's, it no, sounds no, no, no. like a Christopher
3: Lee it Italian. Not. It was an Italian uh, uh, vampire movie or an Italian adaptation of Dracula. Oh, and the thing okay. about it is Sorry. Dracula leaves um, Transylvania because he has to find blood uh-huh. to save his sister. So he goes to Italy and he uh, takes refuge in a, a mansion. First of all, these aristocrats are basically broke; they only have one servant left and now here's where the cheesiness comes in yes it it, it isn't dubbed in English they're all speaking English, but here's my problem you have you have this guy this, this you know this this Dracula going to Italy right? Uh-huh. Why do you have an Italian now again, I am Italian, so I can talk trash about this. Why do you have uh, a guy who works there on the estate who sounds like he's from Brooklyn because it's you- exactly. And it was a porn. It was like a soft porn.
2: You're
0: talking very about, critical. Dude, you're, you're very critical. You're
3: talking about Andy Warhol's Dracula.
2: That's what right, that is. Sure? That's what you're talking about. Yes, you're talking Udo Kier, Joe D'Alessandro. He's he's basically effing the the, the ladies in the in the thing. He's like hey, you whore and like pushes her face. Yes, 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 that's, yes. that's that's Andy Warhol's whatever, Dracula, it's directed but, by Paul Morrissey. Uh, I haven't
3: seen it. All right, whatever. It's I didn't, terrible. Okay. Thank you for for correcting me, Tyson. But you know, but it, you're Udo right. It is terrible because Udo Kier is always good. Here's what pissed me off, though, is the fact that, you know, here Dracula is, first of all, Dracula turned in, you know, Dracula's supposed to be the first vampire, like, Mm. the ultimate darkness, and he turned out to be a pansy in this movie, but not only that, he goes to Italy, Italy, with, you know, Italians, not American Italians, Italians, and you have one guy who works on the estate, Mm. and he sounds like he's from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. We don't need that. We don't care if he's from, get get him out of here
0: getting back to the flash cord briefly, that whole movie feels like it was designed by Jarodowski. Also
2: out oh, you're going to was like, yeah, he's the, did you ever see the documentary about he was going to make Dune originally? And they had, Yeah, know? I
0: did, I did, I did. It's fascinating to it see. I don't know how much of it is like how he thought production was proceeding. If production really was proceeding in that sense. Uh, yeah, but it start. is a, it is an interesting documentary to look at. And, uh, like, I've never asked Mick Jacker if he was really signed on. But it is, it is, he is a visionary of sorts, and it is an interesting uh, movie. You know, um, Sam Jones told me over lunch that the director was replaced on that two weeks before they started shooting, and that was what he thought the problem was. And when I met Sam, Flash Gordon wasn't even on his acting. I asked him about it. He goes, oh, it's so old. Well, what, what it really was was he was not getting along with it. And their Raffaella and their crew at the time. Were, that was supposed to be a three-picture deal too. Did you know that? No. And some say he's dubbed in it. I don't know that he is or he isn't. I haven't watched it in years, but some people say he's. Dubbed. Speaking of rock and roll soundtracks, the Queen.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Mass. Uh, now let me album. tell you. Let me hmm. let me tell you something. Oh oh, you know what? Hmm. I remember why. I remember why I wanted to watch Flash Gordon. So there. If you ever watched the um, the Flash the TV show. No. Okay. On the CW? Yes. No. Awesome. There, there is an awesome scene where the Flash has to run into a black hole, right? So he's running into a black hole.
0: Of course he does.
3: And as he's running into a black hole, um, back in Star Labs where his people are, they played the uh, Flash Gordon theme song while he was doing it. Oh. And it was so badass that I had to just watch Flash Gordon again. So, but the thing about it is, yes. The difference between, like, again with Flash Gordon, you, you already you already know that there's going to be a, an epic level of cheesiness that is just it, it's fun to watch. It's kind of like Lost Boys. Lost Boys, they tell you right off the bat, it's cheesy. We get it, but it's a it's a fun time. Do
0: they do they tell you that Lost Boys? No. Yeah, no, there, there,
3: there, there, there was there uh, was there was an interview with uh, the the Corys who uh, that's one of the reasons why okay. the blood. Coming out of the vampire wasn't red; it was whatever it was because it was supposed to be slimy, gooey. It was, it was supposed to be like a fun time. So
0: okay. I I misinterpreted that because I don't I did not interpret Lost Boys that it was supposed to be cheesy when I saw it. I mean, I guess this is all news to me. I, I mean, I I actually think they went about Flash Gordon in a completely legitimate way. I just think it didn't age very well. I don't think they thought were making cheesy. You know, well, I think they were thinking, like, "This is going to be awesome. This is a great battle Look at these dudes right. with wings."
3: Well, back no. in the day, it was very epic. I mean, back when I was watching it in in the eighties as a child, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like the best thing I've ever seen in my life." But as an adult, yes, okay. it, it is very much cheesy, but I still, I still, still love it. it anyway. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I like it. I said, I I bought it off Prime and and it's it's in my queue and and I have I it's it's, it's a great watch.
0: Cheesy, the yes. Table is- we should table this until Tyson has had a chance to see it. So it's the kind of movie that he would probably really love to break.
3: Now out. Ethan. He's probably Ethan. Mm,
0: mm.
3: Antisocial Show has been in existence now for about five years almost. Wow. October, yeah. Yes. And in all this time I've and, and I've been trying to get it. It took to me watch. five
0: years to get on this show? You guys should no, be ashamed you, of yourselves. You were on last year. Oh, I get my annual appearance. Thank you. Okay.
3: <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. But but for for oh, this whole done, time, done, yeah, I've seconds. been I've been trying to get him to watch Tusk mm. by Kevin Smith, and he hasn't I haven't done seen it, it. either. He hasn't done it yet. Five years, Tusk. Mm. Tusk.
2: It took me ten years to see The Room. I finally did. I thought it was great.
0: That's you know. a hard movie to watch too, in my opinion. So I I can't say I love that movie. I mean, uh, you know what? I've gotten very specific with my entertainment, and it's gotten very soft in my old age. You know, right. I have to. I, like, I, every time I turn on, every time I try to access any sort of internet, it's all a barrage of bad news mm. and hate and conspiracies. And I just, I just, when I turn on my TV, I really want something that's simple mm-hmm. and that kind of almost harkens back to a more fun, loving, innocent time. And, uh, just to put a footnote on this, I really, I, I apparently missed the, I, I apparently missed the memo. That Lost Boys was, uh, uh, um, Done in, in a sort of a cheesy way. now I have to rewatch it after having this conversation and seeing if that holds up. I do remember it had a great soundtrack.
3: Oh, excellent soundtrack. Excellent storyline. I mean, if you think about this. So you have a bunch of guys, a bunch of teenagers, mm-hmm. um, you know, dressed awesomely for the eighties, they're riding around on bikes, they live forever, mm-hmm. they can fly, they suck people's blood, things like that, right? and this whole time you, you think either sutherland is the head vampire but no he wasn't uh, as it turns out that spoiler alert! Oh,
0: you are yeah right. you, you didn't alert anyone that you were gonna dance lost boys we were gonna detract okay. it yeah
1: so how okay, dare so, you fang
2: movie so, came movie in 1987 or whatever
3: Good so Lord. all right so for anyone out there that hasn't watched this movie mute this part because i'm gonna no, it's give too late. away what are you talking about I haven't given away who the head vampire was. We no, talked but about it. all right. It's all right. It's but it, the, the head vampire turns out to be, you know, some middle-aged dude who owns a, a, a video store.
0: Well, that's so, the classic bait and switch, and it's done really well, right? Because it's oh, it like is. like you, you know, There's also another added story to that, and I can't remember what it is, but there's an actress on it, Minter, who came through my office at Warner Brothers and told me she's credited at the beginning of the movie, but that seemed too much. Huh. She's in the movie for your school. She said something about, she was supposed to be a vampire and there was another whole section and that wasn't shot or edited out. Um I don't know. But I've, I I actually like Ed Harriman as an actor and I think he's kind of good because he's disarming. You don't think you think school teacher, you think to do math, you don't think head of a vampire.
3: Uh right. No, he very he very much is uh, disarming because you think he's just like this this guy who just owns a video store and he's just, you know uh, rest in peace. whatever. Right. And and, and 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 he right, and he turns out to be yeah, rest is. in peace. Yeah. Right. It turns out to be an asshole. <laughs> um. Yeah,
0: sure. Well, there's a pretty fun scene, you know, where you get somebody to the house, and they, they try to test him over dinner. It's pretty awesome. I that is, exactly yes, some but oh, that anybody, I like
3: that anybody, yeah. anybody, anybody who's ever paid attention to uh, the rules of vampirism, of course, uh, aside from Twilight, when he shows up and talks to Michael for the first time, he goes, Ah, you must be Michael. And he goes, And you must be Max. Well, you are the man of the house and I'm not coming in until you invite me. You're invited. Yeah, that was the, the dead giveaway.
0: Well right I don't there. you know, I didn't I don't think I caught that the first time when I saw the movie as like being a, you know, like a guy in junior high, but you're right, it's a dead giveaway now. I don't understand why that rule holds up. Like why would a vampire need an invitation to cross a, like a the threshold of someone's front door? There's so, that. I mean they violate everything. It's a
2: traditionally observed superstition.
0: Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's one of those things that I just I mean, that's like I, I, it works, I guess, because it's we're talking mythical Why elements to begin
3: like yeah. with. You know. Yeah, really. Yeah. Why does like garlic, garlic, doesn't garlic doesn't work, boys. My well, holy work. water death breath.
0: There's got to be a band out there that's inspired by the Lost Boys that covers the soundtrack. There's got to be by 100%, 100%. now. That, yeah, sure. They dress like it, and they perform like it, and they do a bunch of
2: Yeah, They do the Echo yeah, and the men Queen, cover stuff.
3: called called uh, Queen of the Damned. <laughs> Queen of the Damned. Yeah, I, I, oh, yeah, I was a war. Go okay.
2: No, no, you first. I was just going to say about The Last Boys, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I mean, I saw that movie, I think I was probably, thir- I think it was 87, so I was probably about 13 or 14 when it came out on video, and yeah. I was, uh, you know, I would heard about it, people liked it, and when I watched it, I was never under the impression it was anything more than just cool.
3: No, it is <laughs> cool, don't it, get me wrong. But I mean, it's like, cool.
2: I didn't think of it going, oh, this is poking fun at anything particular. I think it was just trying to do a, a, a genre film Uh, From a different angle, you know, and and in a different setting that happened to be sort of this weird kind of like rock and roll, almost punk aesthetic with, you know, teenage culture in this very specific area of the world, you know, whatever. And that's all it's felt like was just kind of like a cool sort of, you know, with, with, you know, people to root for and, you know, young people in it, you know, and and young people like Goonies with vampires, you know,
3: if you think about it, why those vampires are, are, if you think, yes, it's, it's kind of a, a horror comedy. Um, but it's if you think about yeah. if you think about why those vampires are even more deadlier than your typical vampire, because if you think about it, more deadlier. Yes, I'll tell you why. Are they
1: though? Are yes.
3: They? Yes, I'll tell you why. Because first of all, they're not pale in the sense, like for example, like you know, your typical vampires pale. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't eat solid food; they can mm-hmm. only drink blood. Mm-hmm. Things like that. These vampires could eat human food. They weren't pale. They can actually go, and they can actually go eat human food. So, like, you know, they can put up a, a front wow. for a real long time.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah. You,
3: you know, you know that, Hunter,
0: uh, I've got to give you credit. You are really reading the bones on this. I, it's amazing how much sort of methodical – this, this is like a crime scene for yes. Vampire Man. The way you're breaking this down, I haven't thought of any of this, like the inability to eat solid food. I mean, look, I just thought the movie had a certain aesthetic, which we know Joel Schumacher was big on aesthetics. All directors are. Mm-hmm. And it was a fun movie. It wasn't really rocket science. I mean, I don't know. Like, I love, I enjoy watching the movie, and I, 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 like the movie for reasons that I like, and I think it's a good movie. But I just don't know how plausible the whole thing is as far as vampire movies go. And that was my point earlier about, you know, what it really. But who cares? It's a come on. Who cares? Who cares what we think? I mean, it's a now, fun movie. If you like it, you like. It. Yeah.
3: If you want to um, take it even, if you want to take it even further than that, there is another. Uh, uh, this was a TV show back in the '90s where those vampires were even deadlier than the Lost Boy vamp- uh, vampires because this was called Kindred the Embrace that was filmed in California. Hmm. And those, uh, well, the, head act, uh, the, the lead actor died and that's, there was only one season of it. So after they okay. wrapped season one, he went back to England and he died in a motorcycle accident. But now these vampires, um, they, actually, they actually had a heartbeat, right? Um, as long, if, if they fed if they fed they had a heartbeat they can actually go in the sun for one whole day for 24 hours if they had fed prior um they can eat human food so they can actually pass as 100 percent human as long as they fed so if they fed the night before you know they have a heartbeat they can they can eat human food they can do you, do you have a hard time you?
0: watching do you have a do you have a hard time watching the lost boys uh hunter or do you like the movie yeah
3: oh i love that or, movie.
0: okay so like all like the vampire logic—it doesn't really take you out of the film, right? You're still a part of it. You still like it. the movie. Kind 100%. of accomplishes its task. Okay, good. I mean, it's yes, interesting. Yes.
3: yes. Anyway. Oh, trust me, I'm a huge, huge fan of Lost. What do you
0: think of Lost Boys? I'm asking my daughter right now. She just saw. What do you think of Lost Boys? Hi, Sean. Tyson says hello. Hello, Sean. The saxman was a choice, she said. <laughs> of course. That's Capello. Come on, let's give the guy some slack. The guy, hey, man, when was the last time you saw a saxman get so much out of his career? Talk about a guy that got a lot of mileage out of just playing the saxophone. Uh, just I mean, playing the
2: saxophone with an extremely low camera angle.
3: And <laughs> with that one scene, he's right. like, I
1: still believe.
0: Uh, yeah. I've always wondered, you know, I had this conversation with Michael Perry about Streets of Fire and uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Hmm. I wonder what the band actually thinks about that, because I, th- like I said earlier, the majority of the people who grew up watching Lost Boys thinks Capello sings that song.
3: I and obviously,
0: did. He, he does not. And I asked Michael Perry, who ran into uh, the guy who actually sings on the dark side for oh. Eddie and the Cruisers, and okay. they kind of got into it. And He was kind of sticky about it. He was like, hey, it's the guy that see- that everyone thinks sings me, but it's me, and it's him trying to be me. And- it was kind of a touchy subject and I've always kind of wondered when I look at the last one it's like I wonder what the call them. I mean obviously they cashed the check mm-hmm. and the and the, and you know the publishing rolls in on it but I wonder, like, do you think they get kind of chippy that everyone thinks Keenan Turner saxophonist sings that song anyway yeah it's a
3: point uh-huh. So he he didn't sing the song but he played the sax though obviously right
0: you know, that part I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I have not heard the original version by the call in a long time. There might be a saxophone in it, uh, uh, but hmm. I, I don't think it credits, I don't think it gets them any sort of ASCAP cap privilege, if you know what I mean. But it's an interesting kind of question. And it's, you know, probably too deep for a show like this in a sense because it's putting your audience to bed. But I kind of wonder those things from a production standpoint.
2: Yeah. I would, yeah, there's, I mean, Lots of questions. I, I,
3: well, Ethan, I, I, to, to, put a, uh, to answer your question logically about our audience, in fact, um, we do know, we think we know, or we could just, you know, whatever, um, that there is a huge spike in, I- I'm going to say it again, Tyson, hmm. uh, Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for whatever reason, when we pay attention to what's, you know, like different locations of people listening to the show... For some reason, there is a huge, huge, huge spike in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So often. again, it's often. strange. It's so strange. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Columbus, I've, I've asked you once, I've asked you twice. Reach out to us. Come on the show if you want. Uh, I will even go, and I, I told you this last time, I will give you uh, some anti-social show uh, t-shirt. I'll give you some merch. Come on the show. Join us because we're really interested in you now at this point. We're watching. Or, and and paying attention, obviously, so you know where to find us, come on the show, talk to us, I'll give you a t shirt It's on me well, but he That's said, nice. right? very he's very
2: generous of you yep. okay uh so ethan uh yeah. it is right now it is uh july, it is July, so it's the middle of July, right. And, uh, at some point, you, at the end of the year, usually in December, you, there's the uh, Christmas event. Is that still happening? Does that happen every year and is continuing to happen this year? And if so, when? Yeah, last,
0: what can you tell me about it? It's the first Saturday in December. And what Tyson is referring to is our annual Christmas event for social services and homeless children. It happened last year despite COVID, but we did it do we didn't have an event where we bust in four or 500 children, Polar Express style to us. We actually packaged the meals and went to about eight or 10 different shelters from Watts, which is a war zone, hmm. regrettably, to, you know, North Hollywood, delivered the meals, delivered the presents, and delivered, you know, clothes and uh, things of that nature. So we did it last year. That was year 10. It will happen again this year on the first December, which I think is either the fourth or the fifth, but it's on the books. And, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, we should set up some kind of remote where I can put up like a Zoom. In the green room with all the different talent, and they can kind of jump on your show and tell you what's happening from our angle. But it's early; it's you know, it's going around seven a.m. Uh, Pacific time.
2: Okay. Well, it's it's awesome. an interesting idea. We talk, we'll have to nail out the details a little bit so I can uh, make plans on my end to me- negotiate uh, around my dad duties. So. What's,
3: uh, yeah, what's and that's going important. On my, young, what's going my on?
2: young child dad duties, I should say. I have a two and a half year no. old right now, so.
3: Best. What's going on best. with the uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, Halloween charity this year? Yeah, yeah. What's going on with that too? Anything? Albums?
0: You know, here's the thing. We um we last year, or actually, I'm sorry, 2019, we did something pretty epic. We had about a thousand people turn out for a broadcast. Yeah, you know, you know, had everyone from Ian Buchanan to Roger Craig Smith, and it was really fun. Cast of Avengers, Star Wars, and uh, it actually was better than we realized. It was a fundraiser for social services, and we had literally a thousand people. Um, and that opened up the possibility of like, well, why don't we do a few other broadcasts and do something? We, you know, we do a Halloween album most years. Mm-hmm. You guys have contributed to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do it when we can get it together. Cause we're, we're actually, you know, universal, where we're based, you know, we got some, we got a lot happening, but, um, so when we did this Christmas thing, we walked away going, man, that was a, we were all kind of shocked. Like, damn, that was actually pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember sitting with Mark Amato, who would be a great guest for your show. He's a producer over at CBS now. Oh. The writer for Saturday Night Live, and I remember I asked him like about a, I rewrote the script for a Christmas Carol to make it more hilarious, and I did it while drunk. Oh. So I gave it to the <laughs> actors. I gave it, Our director was Keith Fairley, another guy you should have on your show, who directed Adventure Time and Rugrats, and he's really good at voice talent. Oh, cool. And, and uh I gave it to I gave him the script and. We decided to make it interactive, so it, when the three ghosts visit and the final ghost, which is the Grim Reaper, basically the Ghost of Christmas Future comes through, we had him come through the back of the dark auditorium of the club as the Grim Reaper, and it was Keith who played the part and put the costume on and kind of seats, like mo- like really kind of startled the audience and moved through it towards the stage. Mm-hmm. So I rewrote the script drum gave it to the actors, and they're about five, three, four minutes into it. And I come from the backstage after the show's launched, I come around to the front, and there's. I mean, this is a big deal for us. There's like a thousand people there. We never had a turnout like that. So I asked Mark Amato, you know, I'm "This right? is this, this is the audience getting this because you never know." And there's a line where uh, Charlie Schlatter, who you may know, he was on the show Paris People Day off. done a lot of stuff. He's the voice of the Honey Nut Bee. He's in everything when you think about it.
2: 18 again with George Burns.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he was also the Flash, the animated voice of the Flash. Oh, yeah. So uh, he pops in as Cousin Fred, and Ian Buchanan, who we all love from Twin Peaks, is Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And he pops in and he's like, "Merry Christmas, Uncle!" You know, and and in the script, Ian Buchanan played it perfectly. His response, you know, in the in the story, Scrooge is upset to see his nephews. what brings you here? Have Merry Christmas, Humbug. You know, well, that's the response.
1: Uh-huh. But in
0: my script, the response was more like real driven, like from like what how family would respond when an unwanted family member shows up. So Charlie busts in and goes, Merry Christmas, Uncle. And Scrooge's response is like, oh, shh!"
1: <laughs>
0: and the whole crowd like busts out, like all thousand people started laughing. And right at that moment, right before they said that, I go to Mark and go, is this working? Because he's a producer. I'm like, does this feel like it's working to you? And the whole crowd started laughing, and he looked at me like half a margarita in, and just, oh yeah, man, this is working. But <laughs> to make a long story short, mm-hmm. or a little less about ourselves, I guess, um, that worked really well. So we were huddling up, going, well, we should do a few, on, a few different ones, based on sort of the talent we have, and bring in some real cast members mixed with some of our voice players around combat radio and so we've come up with four we're going to do john carpenter's halloween
1: Ooh.
0: uh we're going to do probably john carpenter's the thing hmm. and we're going to do one? clue we're going to do clue and i would encourage anyone listening to this if you want to hear something funny mm-hmm. go back to our interview we did with tim kurt it was really good because he talks about playing pennywise and scaring the the hell out of the little kids from the gutter in costume nice um, but also the director of clue jonathan lynn has done a lot of commentary with us and he, i wanted to get him into direct like like revisiting sure um, so we're going to do Clue, and then uh, you know we're talking about maybe House on Haunted Hill or one other. There's a couple of others that have possibly popped up. So the idea being we're probably going to do three or four of these things. as like a Halloween fundraiser or a Christmas fundraiser, and we don't know if we're going to do them this fall or just get through Christmas and start doing them in like March, April, May of next year. Because people are still, you know, with this Delta variant kind of going out of control here again in California and people starting to mask up, we really don't know actually where we're going to stand this fall. So it's still kind of on the table. The production blueprint is there. Mm-hmm. The cast is there. We're going to get some of the original people from those movies to be in it with us. Oh, cool. um, you know, we had some great names for when we were shut down last year. We were bringing Christmas Carol again. Mm-hmm. And we were reaching out to some great people. We reached out to Annie Lennox for Marley. We reached out to Julie Andrews. We reached out to Billy D. Williams. My wife is a pretty sharp producer. reached out to some real talent. And COVID shut it down. So now we're thinking, like, well, let's bounce back. We don't really know where it's all going to surface. But there will be some sort of fundraiser this October to help those in need. And there will certainly be something... uh this December for Christmas.
3: Um, well, and you, don't forget, Tyson, we got, got a balloon for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's they a good, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good version float, of it.
3: They Tyson. They all float. And when you're you come down here,
0: you'll float too. I have to admit, that's a pretty good as impression.
2: That's a good Pennywise. Uh, yeah. So as you get more details of the event, uh, you know, be sure and you know, keep yes. in touch with us and send us to them and we can pepper them throughout the... Uh, yeah. We can bring them, you know, in in subsequent episodes. We can make sure that people hear that. Uh, so now yeah. people can hear the show that you're talking about. These shows over at One
0: dot org. Yeah, I mean, all those shows are there. The entire online archives are there. We've also, you know, we've got a bit of a YouTube channel that's got a lot of highlights from Tim Curry and Jonathan Lynn and all those guys. A lot of the people we discussed tonight are over there. John, you know, Joe Wells, Gunnar Hansen, who passed away. Leatherface has got a couple of interviews for us up. Right, What's and the- that's over at. That's YouTube slash Brigade Radio 1. Basically, okay. you can search it out. Yep. A, lot of tra- a lot of trailer commentaries over there, too. And it's got the trailer for No Quarter, which is the book I got coming out, called No Quarter, Kill All Masters. It comes out in the audience, too. It's an audio book. Oh,
2: okay, cool. I saw something. Incredible.
0: Really good. Really fun. Uh, there's a trailer for it. And actually, it's it's really put together like a movie. It's got great soundscape design, great sound effects, really unconventional sort of storyline. So nice something fun story. for people who really want to wreck shop and <laughs>
2: This law. No quarter, kill
0: all masters? Yeah, it's called No quarter, kill all masters. Or as I say in the trailer, No quarter, kill all masters. Rated R. I have to say rated R. And then you can go to noquarter.com and get all the nonsense on it. known as Lucifer and the men with painted faces, when they burned New Orleans to the ground, and when they sacked Panama, I knew that my road to redemption would be paved with tombstones, and by the time they brought the apocalypse to West Africa the Indian Ocean. I would come to know two words with biblical significance no quarter, no quarter kill all masters rated R coming soon available on all platforms. Visit no quarter kill all But yeah, so
1: that's it. It's like, mm-hmm.
0: it's all kind of, it's all kind of unwritten, but we're fairly easy to find. You know the other thing, do you guys have a YouTube channel for the show. Not specifically for the show, no.
2: Um, there, do it. Should do I, it. I have uh, okay. my own one. Well, technically, I put episodes up on. I put the uh, like the recorded version of this, like what you're seeing, uh, up on uh, um, at my at my YouTube channel. Basically, people just go to Tyson Center and uh, or go to www com. You can find links to the show. You can find links to Tyson Center Gamer. You can find links to Gaming Outside the Comfort Zone to Suckatash. All these things. They're all well, on my main no one's going
0: to want a link to this because I'm on it, but I think I will sort it of out to see what other sort of mischief you guys have been up to. And I'll subscribe. I'll subscribe to the YouTube channel while I'm at it. To, you so, know, try, like yeah, thank you, but well, I'll send you the link so you can see so you nowhere know to go. And, uh, yeah.
2: so I'm pretty sure okay. you might already be subscribed to me, but if you aren't, please do subscribe.
0: <laughs> I, I would think I was, but you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm not really up to speed on my social media. I've been less and less involved with it, honestly present. Yeah, I've been um, as well
2: yeah. mostly since the end of 2016. I'm getting back into it now that, you know,
0: uh, Orange 45 isn't an office anymore.
3: <laughs> Orange 45, yeah.
0: Well, he's a big part of it, right? I have to admit, but I don't like the tone and the nature of a lot of things around him, but yeah. I just think the whole thing in general has really taken up way too much of my time, and honestly, uh, uh, you know, real life is an adventure. Uh, I just, you know, I get up there and I, I try to communicate where I'm telling people this publicly because you can still send me a message, and I'll try to respond to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but I try to get involved with it, but don't count on too much for me. I usually promote my you know, sh- shameless production elements and try to respond to people, and then I move on, and I'm probably not. I don't read it anymore. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing that I think pisses off a lot of my friends, because I don't really have the time to scroll down, and I don't really care to be lectured or hear. So much of it. I mean, it's like we miss. You know, we grew up in a different time where we used to call each other and hang out, and that's what I'm trying to get back to the real life contact.
2: Well, kind of doing that now as best we can. Yeah, with the uh, with the you know world being as it is right now.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny because people be like, "Did you see my Facebook?" I'm like, "No," but you have my phone number. Why don't you just call me? It's so dumb to say, "Did I see?" It's like, "Did I pass your billboard on the highway?" No. What is? <laughs> you know, it's like, call me up. People tell me what you need me to do.
2: People, you know, it's like they, they, they're they sort of this, like, you know, they figure they put it one place where a lot of people can see it, then everybody yeah. should have seen it. It's like, it's like, um, you know, some comedians are like, didn't you hear me talk about that in my set? Or, 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 I, I know,
0: I, I know. no, I'm guilty, I'm guilty of it too. But the, you know, it's like, it's interesting because for us, we get a lot of requests. We get a lot of concert ticket requests. We get a lot of requests, but we seem to get requests from people mostly. Who do not care about the charity side of our show. That's what really kind of gets me, chippy. Hmm. I don't mind helping people out when I can, but if I just get bombarded with the requests, the mafia requests, constantly, when people know that a good part of our agenda is charity work and they don't seem to have any interest, even the most basic interest, of sharing a post uh-huh. that may help feed some kid in a shelter, you know, that's actually what kind of burned me out. And I kind of have like an fu attitude. It's like, how dare you get me up for concert tickets? Tickets. Where, where were you when we were trying to, through COVID keep families from going out on the street you know it gets really it gets very personal for me and it gets very bitter for me so makes sense. there's a set of there's a set of heroes around us and I would say you guys qualify you guys always try to do what you can and there's a lot of guests on combat radio that try to do what they can and they get a pass from us and then I'll hear from somebody maybe once a year and want something for free and I'm like Dude, let's get some backpacks and school supplies to these kids in Watts and then we'll talk about your Disneyland tickets you cheap Anyway, it's hard for me. So that's part of where, you know, you log on to social media and you're just bombarded. Like, hey, can you uh, get my script to this director? Or can you do this for me? And I'm just like, where's the love for the society that's breaking down around us? I haven't seen you get involved with one charity thing. And we're quite well known for it at this point. You so know, that's, you know,
2: it's, the, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. People
3: check. Yes, Hunter. We definitely love the, uh, the charity work that we uh, help you guys do. Try it as uh, much we look, as we'll try it. Exactly. We look forward to it each and every year. In fact, when we were uh, asked to do the uh, Halloween album. Yeah, great year, cut,
0: by the way. Thank Which you. That's uh, available. People can find it. The haunted Tour. We, uh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic.
3: We sat Underwear. down for at least three weeks straight every day putting to, uh, that thing together. And I, I can tell you, uh, Tyson was a Stanley Kerbick. Uh when it when it was you <laughs> sorry Tyson. Sorry. When he was directing. So there I was. I was uh, now keep in mind I've never done voice work until that point and uh he, and he yeah, he was like, Listen, you're doing it you wrong. I want eighty five cuts of you doing this one line. Oh, ha, ha. Is that how you talk to him? Is that how
0: you talk to no. him? I don't picture you talking
3: to him like
1: that. I was here. gonna say, yeah. I don't
0: remember Tyson ever being a tyrant. But, I know Tyson is dedicated to the craft, but I've never <laughs> no, was, I've never seen it was, a wicked it was, side
3: of it. it was totally awesome um so essentially uh I played the part of Fritz he played the part of Mr L so mm-hmm. and and he played the I mean he had the voice of like Christopher Lee so I was like dude you totally you could totally rock this and of course I was like this crazy <laughs> guy that you know went through the went through the don't take away my heat tyson because you know uh every year this is what I do, yes, and I yes, take it. I, I take it seriously, and you know, and it might be real or it might not be real. You just don't know.
0: <laughs> Tyson, Tyson, and I. Tyson has broken down a lot of movies on combat radio over the, I don't know, twelve years or so. Yes. and I will tell you, he was always really prepared and very patient because he was stepping into like a live fire exercise.
3: Tyson, I can tell you right now, is is uh, one of the most awesome people I've, I I know. Oh for sure for sure. Uh, and it, it's been a pleasure to uh you know get to know him over these years and again even working on the uh on the uh haunted tour it was it was awesome because I would get home and that was the one thing I had to look forward to it was it was it was great. We uh again uh those three weeks we were working on it we put it together it sounded awesome. As I tell everybody he is definitely the uh he's the Dumbledore of this show because without him his magic of editing this wouldn't happen. Yeah, well,
0: no. He's 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 always been exceptional.
3: Yes, sort of he, he definitely is. So I just show up and talk. I appreciate that you're saying so. So I just show up and talk, and that's it. I mean, you know, he's uh, the early days of doing anti-social show when I had the uh, little crappy friggin uh, Toshiba laptop. Mm. We would have uh, all kinds of issues, and you wouldn't know it. Because that's how great right. Mm. Because that's how good he is, so you know.
0: some stuff uh, you can't hide. Let's see, Tyson. We did uh, we did Headless Horseman, Disney's Headless Horseman Mm -hmm. of Ed Woods, Mm -hmm. Plan Nine. I think we did House on on Haunted Hill with you. Yes. We did I think we did Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which, if I'm not mistaken, features the work of my buddy Ray Park. So I think we've we've done a few movies together and you were always very patient and well 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 prepared.
3: Speaking of which, I actually did a combat radio. I, I did a combat radio episode uh, years ago. Uh, was, standing, Ray, was Ray Park on it? I don't remember, but I was standing live in uh, Sleepy Hollow Cemetery.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. That was a good one. Yes. We're trying to get more interactive like that because we're trying to move in a different direction. I mean, we've been doing the radio thing uh, for the colleges now for 12 years. Kind of not
2: For the colleges, did you say?
0: Yeah, different sort of shows. And different, it's like we're want to do more visual stuff. So we're moving in that direction again. We're going to take a lot of what we did on the radio, and we're going to jump out, and we're going to actually kind of capture a lot of the line. That's when we want to get a Sleepy Hollow again, and maybe a few others. I mean, that's why I was at the Lost Boy Bridge, and I was in the Dracula set, and mm-hmm. the Star Trek set, and the Halloween set tomorrow, and I was at the house on Haunted Hill today. So it's almost like a TV production schedule now, but it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little bit of a different dimension
2: for us. Get
0: some puppets. And hopefully well worth the time. What's that? Puppets. Get
2: some, get some puppets and do some animation.
0: Uh, I love puppets and if I, if I had someone around me that could do animation, we would be all over it. So send someone my way if you come across someone. We want to do some animatics and some animations. We're open to it. We're just trying to get on our feet. I mean, Universal's got us running, running around trying to, you know, try and piece together some possibilities and we're trying to also, you know, keep, give the audience, you know, the, the couple dozen audience members, we actually have some form of entertainment. Uh,
2: so uh, the event you were saying was going to be a December 4th or 5th. Is now, is that depending on whether it's a Friday or Saturday? Like what day of the week is it usually? Is it Saturday? That
1: it, you
0: know, it's always on a Saturday. It's the first Saturday of December. The reason Saturday, I don't know Saturday. if it's the 4th or 5th is because I can't recall the actual date. I've been through a lot.
2: Okay, that's fine. I want to make was. sure that we got that out there. That it's definitely the first Saturday of December this year in 2021.
0: Uh, well, the GoFundMe to support it will go launch probably sometime next month. There's a lot of prizes involved a lot of the sponsors. That you get for like a five dollars so that'll start much earlier okay and that'll be
2: better news. be sure to let me know when you start tweeting it out so I can start retweeting and whatnot
0: I will thank you no
2: problem um okay well it's about all the time we have for Antisocial show I'm Tyson Saner
3: and I'm Hunter block and he's
2: our, our guest has been Ethan
0: Ethan, Ethan, Ethan Deadmire. yes
2: be decent to each other yeah.
3: absolutely peace!
1: have a good time folks.